on tonight's show, we have Cole from Fast Company to talk to you all about handlebars and how to get your handlebars set up. And then Tim from Inside Line Moto shows up to defend himself. Well, actually, he's just going to talk about what an awesome ride he got to go on. And he probably won't talk about how he thinks we're hiding the episodes from him because we always make jokes about him and Logan. But you're just going to have to listen to the show. This show would not be possible with the help of some amazing sponsors. Of course, those are Yamaha, Taco Moto, which, by the way, brings you Roost or Endo. And we're looking for submissions. So take a nice picture of your bike and tell us about it. Of course, Scott Sports, Climb, DDC, Double Take Mirrors, Bulletproof Designs, Fast Company, and Trail Tech. Live from Perup, Nevada, the Valley of the Dirt People, it's Tech Talk, Taco Tuesday, with your host, Jimmy Lewis, and... And me, just Jimmy Lewis. That's that's it. One person show. We're trying to simplify it here. It's the way it started. And that's the way I'm going to keep it, unless it's a special show, which tonight, every, every Tech Talk Taco Tuesday is a special show. My name is Jimmy Lewis. Uh, I'm with Dirt Bike Test. We are a motorcycle and motorcycle product testing company we're kind of an editorial source kind of like the magazines used to be back in the day except there there's really only a few more few magazines left and there's very few that are doing it like i'd like to say like we used to the ones that are still telling it like it is so anyways the purpose of tech talk taco tuesday which is a horrible name for a show where what i do is I answer your motorcycle and motorcycle product-related questions. We do this in a format that's easy for you to interact with us. You can do it live. It's the best way to do it. Come into our chat live, whether it's on YouTube or Facebook, and type in a message, and we see it. It pops up on the screen. Nine out of ten questions I can answer without referring to a reference manual. And thank you, Brenda, for confirming that you can hear and see me. And for that, I apologize. <laughs> so, yeah, pretty uh, pretty empty studio tonight. Actually, this whole building, this whole facility, my office in here, which is strikingly larger in square footage than most motorcycle publication offices, and if I included the shop space that we have, we're like times 10. It's crazy that it's gotten that out because everybody just works from home. <laughs> and I used to do a lot of my best work at home because I could think and, and concentrate and wasn't distracted by people kind of cruising around the office. But, um, yeah, that, that, that it's just come down to all you need is a, a, an iPhone, basically, you need, you need an iPhone, and then you can be a, a journalist, a motorcycle journalist. Well, it's not called a journalist anymore. It's called an influencer. It's kind of like, like journalists in general are not really journalists anymore. They just look at their, their Twitter feed. I guess they call X feed now. And then they report that as news. And so all you have to do is pump up some fake news, and somebody catches it, and they report it, and then it becomes news. So welcome to the new world. That's the way it is, and it's like that in motorcycles, too. Tonight, we have an awesome show coming to you. I've got uh, Cole Townsend from Fast Company. Fast Company, 
one of the sponsors of the show, I'll go over the sponsors. You can't see this because it's really small on my screen, but I'm going to show you Instagrammers. Look at this brake clevis. This thing is trick. Super Sano. It's got a nice, it's stuff you can't see, but it's funny. Some of the stuff you can't see makes the biggest difference. This is a brake clevis. The pin is anodized, super nice colors. It's titanium. This is a factory part. And if you wanted something like this, I'll hold it up here to, to the big screen. I'll actually zoom in a little closer so you can see it right there. Uh, this is a Fast Company brake clevis. They're about $45. And if you want to make your bike super factory, that and their brake, um, brake pedal return spring, especially for the KTMs with the junky stock spring that comes with it, those are really Sano parts. Can you see him? Eh, probably not. But if somebody was really looking at your bike close and they saw that stuff on there, they would know you knew what you were doing. But anyways, Cole Townsend from Fast Company is coming on. He's going to come and talk about handlebars. Why should we talk about handlebars? Well, it's one of the two places that you hang on to to control your bike. Actually, you shouldn't even be hanging on to it. You should be using your handlebar controls, your handlebar and all the controls mounted to it, to control your motorcycle and not hanging on to it. Because if you're doing it right, you anticipate what is going on and then the controls are right there where you need them that's why it's important to have your handlebar and i say handlebar handlebars it's really a single bar the the handlebar is where it needs to be so your controls are where they need to be so you can ride properly by the way my name is jimmy lewis i run an off-road riding school called jimmy lewis off-road training we just released our fall schedule so if you want to become a better rider Go to www.jimmylewisoffroad.com. I dare you. I'm actually going to make a guarantee. I'm going to do a, a, a guarantee for the schools because people don't believe that it really works, the stuff that we teach. Uh, it's finally because the, 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 the influencers and the people that post on YouTube and the, the, the pundits that are commentating on different motorcycle relating activities are finally sort of catching on to what we've been teaching for the past 20 years. It's amazing. We, we caught on to what we were teaching about 15 years ago and then ran with it. Uh, we're not making this crap up. Anyways, www.jimmylewisoffroad.com. Our dates are not up on the website because you have to subscribe to the newsletter because our classes sell out and then you can't get in. So we give our newsletter subscribers at least the first chance. Then we put them up on the website. Our other sponsors, thank God for other sponsors. Yamaha. Yamaha has been sponsoring us for better part of a year now. Uh, I love Yamaha because uh, I like YZ125s. I like WR450s, and I really like Tenere 700s. I have a vlog on the Tenere 700. Actually, I know, you know what, I can... I can actually put the, that up here. I wonder, oh, I got to I gotta switch it here to this. Hold on. This is where I'm doing some buttons here. Uh, you can, and so if you're watching this, if you're listening to it, you can't see this, but of course you're watching it. My Tenere 700 got loaded, and now you can see the uh, Tenere on the vlog that we have there. Go to dirtbiketest.com or our YouTube channel to see any of the stuff that we do uh those are our places it's simple dirtbiketest.com just search it it'll come up and you can probably if you have a question motorcycle question if you search it on dirtbiketest.com you're probably going to get an answer that's 
fairly accurate. So a Facebook user says, any opinion on the 18-inch front wheels fad that is trending? It's not a trending fad. It's something that started back in the 1960s. So don't get excited about that. Uh, if it started retrending again, this is just like everything else. It has cycles and phases. I've ridden bikes like that. I know guys that swore by it. They were generally guys that rode bikes back in the 1960s and early 70s. They were riding Triumph Desert Sleds and on big, heavy bikes that didn't handle very well. For sure, this worked. If this 18-inch front wheel thing really worked, you would start seeing manufacturers, at least one of them, would at least go out on a limb and try it. Or you would see someone race with it and start winning. And that's what really... When someone races with it and starts winning, then you know it works because there's some advantage to it. But I understand that the 18-inch front wheel is kind of a thing for, let's say old slow trail riders that want their front wheel to float in the sand and so i'm completely down with you i understand what you're trying to get at it's really it has some advantages but the disadvantages for most riders completely outweigh any advantages if you're completely out of balance and you need to have your front end grab extra traction then that might work. But it also doesn't roll over the bumps as well. So it tends to get caught, and it's super heavy, and it makes the bike handle really slow. And so if I'm advertising for my school, which I do, uh, come and see me. I can fix your need for that front wheel. Uh, but there's also a lot other a lot other things like i said it just doesn't it just for most people just doesn't work if you get a chance to try it try it because you're going to love it or hate it and if you love it there's a, a problem with the way you are riding so uh yeah you're you're <laughs> might get a fat cat maybe get a honda fat cat or a yamaha yamaha makes a tw200 i think they still make it that is going on the same principle and that gives you 270 percent of the same feeling which means a lot more so if you like that feeling then and that's an easier way to see whether you would like that then then maybe go there but boy are there some disadvantages to it that really outweigh the the positives Although I couldn't talk my really old friends because they were really old and they were really set in their ways and that's what they wanted to do out of it even after they rode some of my bikes and they said because they were they were mostly talking about how it made their suspension better and their suspension on their bike was just plain crap to begin with because <laughs> mostly because they never set their sag because <laughs> I set the sag on one of the guy's bikes and all of a sudden he didn't like his 18 inch front wheel anymore he had to put his sag back way out of spec but he also wanted a lower seat height too. So lots of different things. So that's what I think about that. That's the kind of question you can ask on this show. Uh, I give you my opinion and I can see why it works for certain, certain things work for certain people. And even though I have really awesome sponsors, again, like Takomoto, Scott Sports, Climb, DDC Sprockets, Trail Tech, and Fast Company, as well as Boltproof Designs and Double Take Mirrors, those sponsors will allow me to talk about other people's stuff. We'll say I can say bad things about their products, although it's hard to do because the reason I have them as sponsors is because I really in, do enjoy and like it. But if you ask me a question, let's say you're going to ask me a question about a DDC sprocket. These are these awesome, lightweight, stainless steel chain rings. 
It's our first sponsor on the show. Long, long time ago, 202 episodes ago. He said he'd do this. I can probably, if you want the lightest sprocket out there, this isn't it because it's made out of stainless steel and it's designed to last forever. If you want a lighter sprocket, there's probably something better if that's your criteria. Yes, you're going to be replacing more. I can say that, and he's not going to call up and say, I, I quit advertising. So that's how this show works. Okay, I'm hanging up on you uh, Instagrammers, all seven of you right now, because, I mean, 7,000. <laughs> uh, come and watch us on the other live feeds, because I've got I've to call in, and uh, I've got to do a call in on this. I've got to plug my computer into my thing. See you. X the live show. And now, okay. Wow, I got an award or something like that. A badge? <laughs> Is that how this stuff works? I'm going to continue. Uh, I got I to gotta, I gotta share it, but I also have to... Uh, 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 uh. 202. Okay. There. Done. Share. Okay. That's when you're just one person, man. There's a lot of stuff going on. Okay, I got to get on the horn here and ha make sure I get my call. Boy, did I get a lot of text messages. <laughs> okay, we got our caller coming in. Hopefully, it's going to be Cole Townsend. Hopefully, this works. And uh, we'll see. I'm plugging plugging things in and doing it the way we do it back in the uh, back in the. 2022s or 21s or whenever I started this damn show. Uh, which line does this come in on? Okay, it comes in on that one. Hopefully we'll be able to hear him and we'll see how this goes. Hey, if there's any strange echo or anything going on on the uh, on the grams and the Instagrams and stuff like that, let me know. So, oh no, you cannot. Wow. I can't get... Actually, hey, Cole, how's it going? Great. How about you, Jimmy? You're live on Tech Talk Taco Tuesday. You know, my other awesome. boss for one of my other jobs just called. I should have I picked up on her and said, hey, you want to be on Tech Talk? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So uh, yeah. Cole Townsend, Fast Company, uh, my favorite handlebars. Yeah, been your favorite handlebar since like 2002 or three. When did you introduce those bars? Uh, 2002, um, what, the day after what was supposed to be the MX Does Nations at, uh, Comp, at Comp Park. And then they had that race at Glen Helen because Comp Park fell through. Okay. So we did wow. a, uh, did a huge release in, um, Pirelli tires actually piggybacked it on with us for a release of their tires. It was just, it was a good event. All the media was there and back, back um, when there was magazines. Yeah. Great magazines, great editors, people that, uh, had a philosophy about how to test motorcycles and product and <laughs> review them and relay that experience to the readers. So, so I have a question, uh, but in the beginning, you would would you agree with me that the bar was kind of, let's say, not well received, or maybe I don't want to say received, but understood. Yeah, it's it's, it's always been misunderstood. It's still misunderstood until you ride with an experience for yourself, and it's got to be set up for you. You know, your 
your preferences, your body build, which is, it's not that hard. I mean, in general, if we just put a bar off the, our bar off the shelf on your bike, that's the proper bend, you're going to have a better day riding, but so many people have preconceived notions about us. So it's always a tough road to hoe, but, um, yeah, but the, the cool thing is, man, we have customers that just live and die by it. And it's the first thing they put on their bike. And, you know, sometimes those guys try different things, but they always come back to it. Right. So in, in, when I, I remember when I very first rode them, the, I, I mean, I, I don't, even if it's something completely weird, I will try it. And then I, and then I kind of form, you know, I, I, I and I, I don't really want to listen to the, all the PR speak and this goes for new bikes or all different kinds of stuff. I just want to ride it and kind of see what it does. And I don't think I had, well, let's see, 2002. I think my wrists were just bad. That was just when they were, well, actually I didn't realize they were bad for another two or three years. I mean, I was still going to doctors to figure this stuff out, but I was still kind of a knucklehead and I was still just able to hammer through stuff and beat, beat myself up. But, and the frames at that point had not gotten super stiff, right? Correct. Correct. For sure. Yeah. The, the chassis were much more forgiving and, um, you know, today, like, you know, you know with our, with one of our other products, our spoke torque wrench, all the factory teams, Although EMs, everybody calls to and, and buys spoke torque wrenches from us, and they want the torque set up, a bunch of different torques, and mostly because they're trying to get the chassis more compliant and get more comfort into it. But you know that usually has some kind of negative effect, um, which kind of leads back to the bar where we get that comfort, we get the small bump compliance, we we you know absorb all that abuse, but we're, you're not having to you know soften the chassis, and you can set the suspension where you, where you prefer and. Um, yeah, the, the products kind of go hand in hand with each other. So you're okay. Often, okay. So you're telling me, you don't have to tell me this, but you're telling me that you have factory mechanics that want their spoke torque wrenches, which by the way, is another amazing tool that, that I, unfortunately, Cole, I swear that I, I misplace mine and, and I have like three or four different toolboxes and I get so pissed off when I have to tighten my spokes and I don't have, I can't find that wrench cause I, cause I, Oh, I'm going to put it here. And I, but you're telling me that that they to- they torque their spokes differently to get a different chassis feel on their factory bikes. Yep, to get a little more comfort out of it. Okay, not, that's, and that's the factory what... mechanic is not. They're not allowed to do that. You know, per se, they're not allowed to call us and change torques. I mean, the OEMs are dictating the torques from from engineering at some point. You know, so they're testing, and I don't know where they end up, but I know you know they are. There's a lot of different torques now versus uh versus before you know pretty much before we send all our wrenches out 90 percent of our wrenches out at 48 inch pounds which is great from 85 on up for the majority of riders because it's not abusive to the components it's not going to loosen up on you either all the factory teams used to run especially to get through supercross whoops and survive you know a main event they're running 60, 70, uh, Yamaha Troy ran 85 inch pounds. Like just the wheel was so tight and all, you know, it's so much strain on the components and it's obviously transmitting a lot of abuse back to the rider. But, but that now, can, nowadays, go ahead. That, that can be a, I mean, like, like people don't understand, like the, the way that the, the wheel works is when it's getting hit on one side, it's pressing on the other side. So having mm-hmm. a having a really tight wheel tries to tear the spokes out of the 
kind of the opposite side. And then, and then it, it depends on the hub. And I'm, I'm just kind of, the reason I'm bringing this up because people, a lot of times, especially new riders, and this, we kind of talk to a lot of different riders in a l- different levels, different experience levels, people new to the sport, people, they don't understand like how much engineering goes into some of the specs that are put into your manual or some of the tuning that's available to you you know, with aftermarket and hence you're just making a spoke wrench here and uh, we'll get to the handlebars later because the handlebars are easy, but the, the, the level that some people would go to, to tune a part of the motorcycle to work better is it's not just, I'm going to buy an ECU and put a pipe on it. (laughs) There's yeah, for sure. I mean, man, there, (laughs) obviously we make a spoke torque wrench and we find a lot of value in that and you get a lot longer life out of your wheel. And, you know, for the highest level guys, they can find, you know, just in the different torques for comfort, but you know, in general on our, in our race program, if I'm working on my bikes, my kids' bikes, you know, we're doing it with a torque wrench because if not, you're not, you're not building that chassis as intended by the engineers. And maybe you find a torque that, that works better for you, but you wouldn't know if you're not torquing. So, um, you know, we experiment a lot with torque in general and, you know, there's definitely things, there's definitely gains to be made and personal preferences to it. Yeah. I, I mean, literally people like people, especially that don't really know laugh when I talk about this stuff, laugh when I say, Hey, if you, a certain bike chassis, we talk about torquing the swing arm pivot or the head stays or the engine mount bolts or switching engine mounts and all this stuff. And they're like, does a regular person feel it? I don't know if they feel it, but the bike can just work better. And let's just, yeah. let's, let's get off of this and get onto the handlebars. Cause what I really wanted to have you call here. And by the way, <laughs> if those don't know, Cole's Cole's young son, uh, Grayson was racing in that super mini race this weekend at Chicagoland at the, uh, we don't talk about racing here unless it's talking about my racing credentials, Cole, but I just wanted to bring that up. (laughs) It's, it's awesome that your son, uh, was, was doing that hucking big ass jumps on super minis. Oh yeah. He loves it. We love it as a family. Uh, he works super hard. It's just an awesome way to grow up. My older boy, trains with them and works super hard there they work as a team and man it's just it's so it's so, such a cool way for them to grow up and they love it so much and it's provided so much for our family and uh it's hard to understand if you haven't haven't lived it at that level yeah tell 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 everybody where they can find them on probably instagram is the best place to find the kids now correct grayson townsend yeah just grace at grayson townsend he's on there and okay. at Gunner Townsend, yeah. Grayson and Gunner Townsend, they've soon. they've been on the show. They were they were probably like five inches shorter. Uh, they were running around on the back. They were probably like feet shorter. <laughs> <laughs> Could be, I don't know. Yeah, he's moved, getting ready yeah. to move off a of super mini to get to a big bike pretty soon, huh? Yep, yep. In a couple of weeks, so yeah, it goes it goes so fast, but it's so cool. So, uh, okay, on to the handlebars, because you are a handlebar specialist, if there ever was one. And I'll, I'll tell the story. We kind of talked about that intro, and I said it, it was a little bit maybe misunderstood, and it's hard to receive, because in the beginning, especially, the bar was heavy, quite a bit heavier than a standard bar. And that time, all the handlebars were really advertising being lighter. Um, it was a kind of a, a new thing, so it's different. And motorcycle, man, I remember when disc brakes were new and different, nobody liked them. I remember when 
uh, you know, there was single shocks and nobody liked them, <laughs> you know, different, yeah. different things. Uh, yep. Oh, power valves will never work. Four strokes will never work. You know, so th- this industry is very reluctant to try and change. And you guys came out the handlebar that had some flex in it. And I remember my very first thing was I got on the bike and the fact that the handlebars moved was a little bit, I could feel it. Cause I feel, I feel little things, you know, we talked about the torque yeah. of different yep. things. They moved and that was different but I didn't know whether it was good or bad. It was definitely different that day. So, yeah. And, yeah. And, and I took, and I took them and, and I said, Hey, can I take a pair of these? I want to ride with them more. And the one thing I noticed that day, and I think I said this to you, I said, I rode them on a bike that didn't, I wasn't really happy with the forks. I couldn't get a good fork setting. And I said, well, if they do anything, they made bad forks. Good. They made the they made my yep. forks work good because I couldn't get that initial bump compliance I wanted, and and I was kind of like everything else. And like I said, I wouldn't at that point wouldn't admit that I had bad wrists or that riding all these dirt bikes with stiff forks was wrecking my wrists. Although I wrecked them myself, so there's there's all these different things that were kind of going on, and and I just stuck them on. I probably stuck it on my XR400 because that seems like we're all the I don't want to call it crap, but when you're at a magazine and you're getting all kinds of stuff. I would just put it on one of my personal bikes and put it on there because I know that I wanted to ride something that was sort of mine and I knew exactly how it worked yeah. and then I could dissect it. And that was probably the worst bike I ever put it on because XR already had a mushy front end. But we, but yeah. <laughs> most people don't go riding for 17 hours a day. And, right, and afterwards, sure. my wrists would hurt. But my wrists stopped hurting. This probably you actually you probably prolonged my dilemmas with my doctors because I'm like can't figure out like why my wrists don't hurt sometimes when they should. It's maybe they're getting better. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had a I have a similar story for the fact of I had to I needed my navicular pin and some of the bones reshaped like when we were developing the bar and I was basically I was like okay I'll ride the bar for a few weeks and then I gotta get my my wrist fixed and you know, but I was like, I can't miss experiencing the product while we're developing it and just rely on everybody else. So, um, so yeah, I started riding with the bar and then it, it put off my wrist surgery for a couple of years from having to really get it <laughs> tuned up and fixed up. And, and it was crazy. I mean, my, my wrist was really deteriorated. I mean, the bones were all ground down The definitely the doctor was not stoked on uh, my decision, but you know, that's, that's how it is. And so, yeah, similar story from that aspect, um, from the bars, you know, you originally rode, you know, everything has evolved so much in the bar and we're always, rebound, we're always rebound working. damping. Yeah. Rebound elastomers <laughs> who, are, I mean, who, the who, amount helped of, with, who helped with that stupid idea? <laughs> you're here. Everything comes back to you, Jeremy. <laughs> I know. I, I, I just remember saying that was one of my complaints when I came back, I said, I feel my forks topping out when they never did before. <laughs> yeah yep so and something so simple but so bitching yeah so the the bar has evolved so much you know we're always working to improve it and even though it looks similar to the original release it's just i mean it's such a different different product and um the, you know we've redesigned it numerous times the 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 frustration is you know basically we're just redesigning some of it to change aesthetics and and but there's always some kind of it, it misses the mark somehow where usually in structural integrity versus our bar is so resilient, man, it just holds up to so many big hits and people ride them for so many years and take them from bike to bike to bike. So um so the bar you were riding now looks similar to that one that you originally rode, but 
it's so different. I mean, we box the pivot points to to minimize any you know flex in the material. We only want the bar to move through the pivot point. We spend tremendous effort to only to to be the stiffest product we can through the steer uh, steering plane. So that that keeps it having a, a traditional feel and input and characteristic. You're not steering through the abuse uh, mechanism, reduction mechanism. Right. You know, you're when you when you push on that bar, the bar is moving in the direction you need it to yeah, go. Yeah. So so let me um, just let me just slow down and break this down. So the steering plane is if you're turning the bar side to side, which and uh, as a riding instructor. Uh, you don't really want to do that because if you're if you're balancing the bike the way you're supposed to, you're initiating most of the steering through the foot pegs, and the bars will kind of naturally follow the way the bike's supposed to go in quote a perfect world. But it's never perfect, so you're always putting in there. So so as much as you think about pushing through the steering plane, I always think that the steering plane. The reason you need really high level feel in that is because if the bike start it doesn't go naturally where it wants to go, it talks back to you and tells you. That really stiff steering plane, which is, like I said, it's the bars turning, not the bump absorption. And you don't you don't want your 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 absorption component, which is the bars moving up and down to cross into the steering because then you're you're mixing the two different feels. And and I've definitely I've tried some different uh, absorbing mechanisms, whether it's it's different bushings or different clamps that that do this kind of stuff that mimic those two things and if you're just a bulldog you won't notice it but if you are really into feeling if you want a just a chassis and a, and a platform that is super tight the flex bar is in my opinion definitely the way to go for sure yeah and, and it's not by accident i mean that's our philosophy i'm not i'm not interesting i'm not interested in doing something that you know negates input or or changes the characteristic and feel in your hand, like going from a wood to an aluminum bat, um, or changes control, or you have to steer through something. Like if it's not applicable on a supercross bike, I'm not really interested in building it. And that's just our preference, you know, that's our philosophy. And so that, that dictates, we have to be extremely stiff through the steer path to be able to be forgiving in the load path. And, and so those, you know, those, that philosophy, you know, that each one complements the other. So that allows you to have a traditional feeling bar, but absorbing the abuse. Yeah. Plus yeah. the bar is, is, is super tunable. So through the different elastomers, you know, we can dial it in for, for whatever your preferences are. And we spend a lot of time with each customer to be sure uh, if the customer wants to, I mean, we're always there for them to, to spend time with them over the phone or through email to dial their bar in. Um, most guys just take the bar, put it on their bike, and it works so well just off the shelf that they never really think about it. But there's a lot of there's a lot of performance to be had if you spend a little time, you know, tuning it. I can fully agree with that. And and you know and I think you you can speak this too, that as you learn the bar, you start going to softer and softer elastomers. I mean, a lot of times, and I used to, like I said, I talked about that movement, which was my uh, my kind of something that bothered me just a little bit in the beginning. But you're like, hey, just run stiff, stiffer elastomers. You'll still get the same benefit. And if you if you have the chance, just as a regular person, if you ever have somebody that has flex bars and then there's a regular bike next to it, all you have to do is take your fist, just just hold up hold up your hand and take your fist and just drop it down on the handlebars. So, so I'm just kind of simulating a hammer drop. Just You don't have to just let your weight of your hand drop down onto the handlebar and do it with a fast company flex handlebar and a regular bar or anybody else's damping system. It doesn't matter. Just do it like that. 
and you will feel the difference in what it is. And and it's and then and then if you want to try hitting it on the steer plane, like hit the hit the bar straight on with the steer plane, and you'll notice that the other bar, it, if it's dampened especially, or if it's a flexier kind of handlebar or setup, you'll notice that it has less feel that way. So there's right. these little this, that's just a run of the mill street test that you can do. And uh, I, like I said, I've always been a big believer. But the, so the question that I want you to answer, but we're going to answer. I mean, I, I have, I'm going to save your question on the right handlebar. But we have a couple different questions that people have asked about uh, the the bar. Um, let's see. I got to go through these things. Uh, Ron Wilder Wielder says, "Do they make bars for mountain bikes as well?" Oh, yes, they do. <laughs> yeah, and, and, <laughs> yep. and luckily Mark Daniels replied to that in the chat. So sometimes in the chat, the chat answers the question too. But, hey, if you think I rave about the motorcycle handlebar, holy crap, is the mountain bike bar way better. <laughs> and, and I'm not saying – it's just like that segment needs handlebars. Like they make uh, – because like my wrists hate my mountain bike. Now, now I'm fine. Right. Uh, incredible. Yeah. I, and I was, I was yeah. really stoked when you got into that because I knew the need. Yeah. The mountain bike, you know, you, you have so much load on your hands at all, at all times. So it really, no matter how good a shape you're in your, your hands, your wrists, uh, everything gets fatigued or aggravated, you know, more quickly than usually you can pedal. So like by putting our bars on, it just takes that, makes it a non-issue and you can focus on pedaling, focus on your ride and just enjoy it. Yeah, so uh, not to uh, not to go too deep into the the mountain bike thing, but do the mountain bike guys? I know they're weight weenies. They complain about weight with everything, but do they? The, it, I, they'll, so they're going to complain about weight no matter what, even if it's an ounce. But do and and the bars really aren't that heavy. I mean, think about it. It's one hamburger. Uh, do do they complain about the bars moving? Because I know they push and pull on the handlebars. No. So just going back to the weight real quick. I mean, when we were developing the bar, weight was such an issue, but the bikes have developed so much and, you know, uh, the bike, the amount uh, I ride, such- I ride an e-bike Cole. I, I'm, I'm, I, have to, yeah. I have to admit, I ride a giant trance. I love it. Love everything about it. I love every extra pound it has on it, especially when I push the button and when my bonk, I start bonking and I push the buttons and I get elite athlete legs and I pass my buddies that I I'm not even allowed to ride with because I'm so damn slow that I can now go riding <laughs> with them. And, and, uh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Dave Donatoni. <laughs> right. For sure. For sure. Beast. Yeah. Follow yeah. him on Strava. Um, <laughs> He's a million years yeah. old. Yeah. That guy can hammer for sure. But, um, yeah, on the weight, yeah, it's the market's changed so much that the weight is not such a consideration. And, and we're not that different, you know, we're around 425 grams. So, um, it just is what it is. And you get so much bang for your buck. There's a huge return for that. Like you're, you're having a better day on your, on the bike. You're not thinking about your hands and your wrists anymore. So, um, that we've, we really seldom get any call, uh, any issue with the weight anymore because the bikes in general are just so much heavier than they were at one time. I mean, if you're a weight weenie, you're a weight weenie, but those guys yeah. are pretty few and far between now yeah. because 
and since, since, every, since, so since everybody's riding e-bikes now, they don't really care either. And then, and then, uh, since they're riding e-bikes, we don't have to pull up on the handlebars so much. <laughs> so the other, yeah, my other yeah. question doesn't matter. Exactly. Or, or do, do you have people that will complain about that? I mean, I know the elastomers on, on, I find the elastomers, especially on the rebound side, what we're talking about so much more critical. I played around. I couldn't believe how much I played around with my rebound elastomer to get that right on my mountain bike handlebar. I was going back and forth, and then switching to a different compression elastomer and back and forth. And and now I'm all happy with it. But and and there, here's where we yeah. talk about the tuning that's available in it. Yeah, for sure. So the uh, the bar, it, just like the moto bar, it's very stiff through the steer path, but forgiving the load path, and then obviously it's tunable. And most guys prefer the prefer a stiffer, equal or stiffer. Um, rebound elastomer and there's some tunability in that. So, um, you know, but you're kind of a special case, Jimmy, cause you're so, such, so technical and, and have such a feel versus most guys put it on, see such a big difference. They just ride with it, you know, and enjoy the product. Well, but I, as, you, as with you, you may not bar. know this, but I'm actually a product tester and evaluator, Cole. I used to be a yeah. professional <laughs> motorcycle racer. I don't really like to talk about my racing in the past, unless we are talking about my racing, but uh, I, I always, it just, just like with this podcast, I want to make it better. I want to make everything better. And yeah. And, and yeah. even though you guys make a great product and like I said, you just bolt it on and go for most people. It's like, I wonder if there's that one tenth of a percent more that I can tune into it. And I've found that, you know, I may make it worse by trying what you send it with standard. And just like I used to just go stiffer and stiffer on my moto bar elastomers because I, I was, I, the, the movement bothered me. You're like, don't do that. You're like, stop it. And then I started going back down, and now I'm running some of the softest settings that you guys sell because you know what? You were right. <laughs> you, and it, yeah. it, you get yeah. used to it, and that's the good thing is you can tune and evolve. And I started finding that I could run my, my fork stiffer on my motorcycle. I could run my fork stiffer, which made the bike work better, and I didn't upset the comfort of my ride in general and so that's yeah that's the the whole thing both for the moto and the mountain bike bar the small bump compliance is just so good so it's picking up the stuff your suspension is in or before it is and so it just moves it out it takes all that high frequency abuse away and um but it does so you know in a traditional manner where you're not noticing that per se so um yeah properly set up bar you're not really noticing for the most part until you're like oh shit this is gonna hurt or until you go back to a traditional bar and you're like what's going on here like it's so rigid and so and just transmitting so much abuse that it's <laughs> yeah it's pretty shocking though especially the longer you ride with the bar like it's it's amazing because you just kind of recalibrate your you, senses you know you know, you know it'd be really interesting to try just to just just out of stupidity would be solid elastomers <laughs> <laughs> yeah just to yeah just to, we've made those <laughs> yeah just to you know i mean like that that's in in testing i never thought of this because i haven't really done i would never done that level of testing on your stuff but that would be a way to kind of feel some different things so we got a couple questions here uh brendo says my yep. downhill bike won't care about the extra weight she can't wait to get some so when uh brenda calls uh just let her know that she you know let him know you're a tech talk taco tuesday listener and uh, I told Cole we were going to send these brake pivots sky sales skyrocketing. So everybody that's uh, looking at like the super most trick part about your bike, you know, get one of these little suckers, and then you can just say, "I'm doing it because I want to have a factory bike." Right, Cole? <laughs> For sure. It's yeah. There's a lot of factory teams that have ran our brake clevises. Yeah. I mean, they've ran our, almost all our products over the years. So. Um, 
it's, yeah, it's, it's some of yeah. the stuff like some of the stuff that I see like that that you guys were making these little parts that you were making in the early days uh fast company when they were kind of getting started it was like somebody got a really good look at a factory Honda and said that's cool and we're talking about like now I'm specifically talking about the rimlock the little rimlock yeah. spacer that that yeah. that was something that somebody overthought the simplest part ever and how does a regular person get it well fast company they they they, yep. they had these and i just remember cuz i had actually cuz i used to hang out with some factory honda mechanic guys and some of those parts would fall off the truck kind of a thing and we're talking back in the 80s yep. sorry to you know hurt your brain but yeah a long time ago and so i like i have on it's on god what bike is it on i just saw it the other day i have a actually factory honda like a full hrc one way valve on the gas tank vent tube like something that Yamaha's yeah. <laughs> come with standard, but th- those were on the factory Hondas back in the day for some strange right. reason, but little cool parts. So yeah, you definitely have a long history of making cool stuff and the handlebars kind of, that that's your own thing, man. It took it to a new level. Yeah. The Rimlock spacers, we actually, uh, my dad had a, a mill and a lathe in our garage and Mike Gossler was a good family friend. And so he just hit my dad up like, Hey, why don't you, we make some of these for me. And so my dad machined them up. And, uh, so yeah, we had those on factory Honda before we were like even a company. I mean, <laughs> I kind of started, I started this bullshit in the college project because I was, I was just trying to get through college and get Wait, out to, to go ride it. You didn't want a real job. Yeah. I didn't want a real <laughs> job. And yeah, that's a long time ago for sure. But so I, I was just, I said that we had a business building these products and uh, <laughs> the teacher, said I was full of shit and I don't think school is for you, but you should probably, probably look into doing this. So <laughs> that's, that's uh, how we really started was doing like trick custom parts for, for, you know, f- here and there for just good friends of ours that maybe didn't have access to the, that equipment at the time. So, uh, yeah, we had Rimlock spacers. My dad gave them to Craig Monty for, uh, for Sebastian Tortelli when he wrote one LA Coliseum on a KX250. And he just came over here from MXGPs and just, just you know, walking around the pits and uh, yeah, it was just kind of basically a family project at the time. And then I bullshitted that school project and it <laughs> ran from there. Hey, um, it, it, again, it's the passion. It's the passion that that drives the cool stuff in this industry. For sure. Yeah, yeah. You gotta love it. You gotta love like every part of it because it's all consuming. And you know, with what we do with racing, with with as a family, with my boys, like. There's really nothing about, especially racing at a high level, there's nothing easy about any part of it. And there's nothing that is like a really good common sense decision financially, (laughs) time-wise, anything. I mean, it's ridiculous. But on the same token, it's the the best, it's just the raddest way to, to live life. And like, we're so passionate about motorcycles and parts and all these things. And, you know, normal people just really don't understand like, you can't explain it to somebody who's not moto. Like it, it's, you can never rationalize it. You can never sell it like that. Like right. they'll never understand it. Yeah. Okay. So now here's the, here's the question that, that a lot of people were wanting to know is like, so how does someone, it will get a hold of you specifically or to fast company specifically if they're looking for the right bar, but just, can you drop some knowledge on how, whether it's just regular Joe on an adventure bike or someone that wants to, you know, find a better position on their off-road or motocross bike. How do you determine bar position? Because you must get this question 70 times a day. 
Yeah. So we, yeah, we, we work on two fronts. One, the abuse reduction, which is, you know, obviously pretty speaks for itself, but two, the ergonomics, like we love ergonomics and putting the rider in a better position on the bike. So, uh, the easiest way to do it is just go to our website. Um, I'm bonking on the button right now, but it's under our blogs or philosophy or something along those lines that will, uh, it, it gives you a, just a lot of information on bar bins as well as ergonomics. And, you know, there's, we build the ergos around, you know, multiple factors being the biggest really is your goal as a rider. Cause some guys want to just ride and be comfortable. And some guys want to be super fit and really accelerate their, their technique and fundamentals and get better. So they need a little more aggressive position. So we, we love to have a conversation with, with the rider either through email or, or on the phone and discuss their goals obviously their body type the bike they're riding their bar current bar preferences um oftentimes we'll find out you know do you have any extra bars laying around your garage like oh i have a cr high and i have a henry reed like okay well this is where they those differentiate from your stock bar now you have three bars we gave you some some dimensional data to this so you can relate to how it feels go ride those bars tell us what you feel, what your preferences are. And now we can have a better conversation. So, um, it, and that's, you know, those are for guys more along your lines that get super geeked out on it. In general, if you just call us or email us, we ask you a few questions and we're going to get you on a bar. Yeah. You usually it, come it, off of, you know, most great. of the time it's, you're coming off your stock bar. I, I have, this is my stock bar that I, you know, this is my bike I'm on and, and I think I want this or that, would that be, that's a kind yeah. of a, that's a general common question. That's a real easy one for you to answer. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, it's we, funny cause in all these years, I don't even know it, whether I was talking about a Renthal bar bend or a pro taper bar bend or what the Honda came with or what the Yamaha came with. Like, I don't, I don't know what those were. I definitely knew when I got on a bike that I, the bars I didn't like, and I'd usually ask the person like, what bars are these? And they'll say, Oh, it's a, it's the Carmichael this, or it's the, it's the Henry that, and these, these names and numbers. And I, I kind of remember the Carmichael bars were always really low, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and all this other stuff. But now, now it's like, well, all I really know now is, okay, I like, I like a fast company, 12 degree bar. <laughs> And then, and then, right. and then the height, you know, the height of the bar kind of depends on the bike it is going on and what I'm, you know, if I'm putting a steering damper under it, a steering damper over it, you know, these different things. But uh, yeah, so I believe that just going to the website and just like reading some of the blogs will tell you, but it, when we start talking about this position, like a, you would say an aggressive position is kind of a lower, more forward bar in general. Correct. And, mm-hmm. and then, and then more comfort would t- typically kind of be, well, especially on adventure bikes, taller because adventure bikes yeah. tend to, well, it's, that's that, actually, that's a double-edged sword because on adventure bikes, the reason the bars are so low and so swept back is because the standard adventure rider position in the real world is sitting down and in a very relaxed position. Yep. But every adventure rider thinks that they need to stand up on the motorcycle all the time. And then they stand yeah. straight up because they're not moving and they reach down to the handlebars right. and they can't reach them. And, yeah. And, yeah. and I promise you that, well, if they do reach them, they're bending over and they're, or they go into a squat, they don't actually stand up. And so I see this all the time because I'm an adventure bike guy, I guess. And I'm the full anti bar riser guy. I don't like bar risers yeah. that much I because, agree. because it puts you in a, 
it actually, when you're standing up, it puts you in a leaning back position or it's straight up position, which the wind blows you and you lean back and then you're falling off the motorcycle. You're not in a good position. So there's, there's a lot of stuff to this. And, and, and I know we've had really good discussions about, cause I have all these different adventure bikes and you'll call and we'll talk about like, why would you want it here or there and the other? And, and it's, it's interesting to, to kind of watch. I always say that the normal adventure bike guy stands up on his bikes with his bike on a center stand or on a stand stands up and reaches down and they can't reach the motorcycle. It's like, dude, you do not ride like right. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. We, so we try to, you know, point the rider in the right direction of where he's primarily riding the bike and that's typically sitting down, but you know, uh, most uh, most uh, adventure bikes these days are coming with around an 80 to 90 millimeter sweep, which for a lot of guys, that's really good, especially if they're primarily riding on the road. But if, if they have a dirt background, like they typically prefer a little straighter bar, but um, you know, it's not, it's not going to be as straight as your, the bar on your dirt bike. Yeah, so you, you guys have, have up to a 16 degree sweep. We have a 19 with it. Wow. So a 19 has 80 mil. Yeah. So so that mimics like um, a BMW. Yeah, the BMW sweep, but the BMW bar, how they orientated the rise and the sweep kind of combine at a certain point. So you end up with a lot more like right. actual sweep. But yeah. um, and, yeah, and, to put, and, like if you go to a, a KTM, it's got 80 mil sweep. And I think the new Tenere is uh, right around 80. Um, I mean, uh, the original, like the OG. Super Tenere, Super Tenere had, I think, 140 millimeters of sweep, like ridiculous amount if you're trying to really ride that as an adventure bike, you know. So, so when um, when you're when you're talking about sweep, that's if the bar was zero degree sweep or flat, it would be straight, sticking straight out parallel, correct? You know, perpendicular with the fork angle, it would be kind yep. of like 90 degrees to the forks. But you start talking about sweep, and the funny thing is, with some of those bars, when you start rolling a bar forward or backwards, it amplifies or decreases the sweep. And so I know, like For the sure. BMW, because uh, I did development with them and stuff. Like you talk about them rolling the bar back and and having the sweep, so they're 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 also the sweep is bad, but the rise, the angle of the rise, yeah. When you when you when you rotate a bar like that up, the rise becomes ridiculous it's not it's no longer yeah. flat it starts dog earing it's like you're hanging on to some bullhorn so this is this is where you you and and your rise is essentially adjustable through the elastomers to a certain extent yeah through yeah. how much yeah through how much you preload the elastomer and all of, there's a lot of uh our our um our blogs have a lot of info on how the sweep turns into the rise and vice versa and kind of like where you roll your bars, you know, naturally kind of tells us what bar bend you need. So, you know, I see a guy riding through the pits and I see where his bars are, are super far forward. He either needs a taller bar or a straighter bar or both, you know, what, what's he trying to accomplish? I mean, that's something we always ask is when the, when the bars are really rolled one way or another, they're, it's it's they're trying to accomplish something that the barbin will never allow them to do. Hey, we have a YouTube. Uh, you'll like this name, Mike K M E T K M E T. Remember that? Are you old enough to remember super, this? Sounds familiar. Sounds familiar. Like there was K, there was K M E T in Los Angeles and K K L O S. They were the two rock stations back in the day. Mike I remember KMET. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, Mike KMET says, uh, says he says, I'm, I'm aware of them, but the explanation. He says, I'm a customer now. 
So that's good. So Mike, when you, <laughs> when you call up Cole, tell him, tell him who you are. Tell him you found out about him on the show. And, uh, yeah. What's your code, Jimmy? What's it's, uh, I, I don't, shoot, I, I, I don't, I don't, yeah, I have to look it up too. You know, you know, just like you don't know the price of some of your products. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. gotta remember your discount codes. Hey, if you're looking for, yeah. if if you call up, if you call up Fast Company and tell them you heard about it on Tech Talk Taco Tuesday, they might be willing to throw you out a discount code just because you're that kind of a listener. Especially if you share this information yeah. with like five or six friends, because the best uh, the best recommendation is from another customer. In all honesty, it's pretty cool for sure. So Our word of mouth is definitely our strongest marketing. Yeah, or my word. <laughs> yeah yeah your word is great too usually yeah, usually, yeah. i haven't i don't i don't i don't know if i've i've told there's you know in my history i've told a couple of people that no don't get flex bars because they they just describe they describe what they're wanting and what they i'm like no that's not for you it's you yeah know, they they're just usually it's the same person that tells me that they don't need a recluse clutch although the recluse clutch that don't get a recluse clutch that spans a lot larger thing the only one that could be larger than that is I don't want to run a trials tire when I'm riding off road or a trials type tire when I'm riding off road. That's a, that's a hard sell, but it's real yeah. easy to just, yeah. there's real easy to say, Nope, you do not run a trials tire. Cause it'll be the worst thing ever for you. <laughs> just different, different right, folks, right. different things. So, Hey Cole, I'm yep. super stoked. You came on the show and uh, it's good to have you on again. I, it was, it was fun doing the show at the shop that one time. Oh yeah, you uh, got to come back. I want to come back. I, I definitely want to come back up there. I want to go rip around with your kids. I want to do. Yep. I, I still, me and uh, me and uh, Grayson still have a figure eight contest to work out. Anytime you guys you are do. passing through, it's not easy right now because the roads are washed out. But if you're ever passing through and need a place to stop for a day, I'll water my figure eights. I'll water my flat track, and I will put it to that kid. Just ask Andrew Short. His kid, I mean, not nearly on the level of Grayson, but his kid. You know, I taught him a thing or two about looking back, like what happens when you look back and you're not supposed to. Yeah. And uh, and then put him put him in a world of hurt in the uh, in the figure eights and the flat track. So no, my money is on you. I'm yeah. I love to get under his skin. I, so. I I like to just feed it to the kids and I challenge them every day to come out here and show the old man up because you know I used to he be, might be listening. I used to be a really famous motorcycle racer. I might have won like I've, I've been on the podium at Dakar, which. Uh, pretty hard to accomplish evidently people tell me oh for sure <laughs> yeah well he's yeah he might be he he's interested in rally he's, he's oh he's planning a, he, a long-term to, motorcycling career he, he needs to start rally training right now i can i can clamp i will on it on his kx 112 i'll clamp a uh, an ipad on there and he can go do a road book right out of the house he just spring some one of these breaks don't you don't the kids ever go on breaks they have brakes. There's not really brakes. Not really no. brakes. They just got them. They're just training machines. Brakes are all when the you're time. injured. Oh no 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 no. We don't want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he can come yeah, and do the, so. the. He can do the online course, the online rally training course at that point, and start thinking yeah. about it. Because it's 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 <laughs> all sure. it's all brain exercises. It's not really. You've got to really give. Um, you have to really give, the. Uh, the, the brain exercises off the bike because you don't learn two things at once. You learn one thing at once. So, yeah. Anyways. Yeah, that would be good. That's work that into the homeschool schedule. Okay. Homeschooling. Oh, homeschooling. <laughs> we homeschool way before. Hey, you can go to government school and they can dictate what you're doing or you can right. educate. Cause, so. cause we, I, we I, homeschool before moto. I got it. That's I, I, and I, I, I know, I know your wife. I know she's beating the crap out of those kids and not doing their homework. 
I mean, in a good way. Yeah, <laughs> yep, for sure. Hey, Cole, awesome talking to you. Um, thanks for coming on. And it's Fastco, F-A-S-S-T-C-O dot com. Uh, go there and uh, check out their blogs. They'll give you all the information you need about the uh, about the handlebars. So we will Perfect. see you uh, out in the trail. For sure. Always fun, Jimmy. Okay, cool. Take care. Talk to you. Thanks. Bye. Okay, that was Cole Townsend. He's one of the co-founders of Fast Company. Of course, his, uh, his partner is uh, way into the mountain bike side. Uh, it's uh, Chris Tidwell. Uh, I've known those guys for a long time. We used to do trail rides every year up in the mountains. Man, we got to do that again. But when you got kids that are racing mountain bikes and motorcycles and all that stuff, it's tough. So, hey, Todd, uh, I it's funny because my our co-video got a whole lot of... Uh, a lot of props today from uh, the guy from Everride, and obviously he hasn't <laughs> watched Tech Talk Talk Hood Tuesday that much because I talk about influencers and bag on them all the time. And uh, you, you know, it, I know Everride. I know that it's just a dude riding dirt bikes, and it'd be interesting to find out what he uh, what he said. But I appreciate that. Um, it's uh, that whole society is very much very positive, and I I I do like that about that, but I also do like being the condescending negative dude that tells you the way it really is, because that's when I grew up, so you can't uh, blame it. So what we're gonna do right now is we're gonna take a quick commercial break. By the way, our sponsors are I'm not gonna say it. I'm just gonna let you watch the break and remember that support those that support the defending champion. The all-new Yamaha YZ450F. What's up, Moto Buddies? Mike here from Taco Moto Co. What is the Taco Touch? It's the best service in the industry. Virtually 24-7 tech support via email or text. And it's like having a dirt bike doctor on call every day of the year, helping you fix your bike or recommend parts or setups for you. If you've ever received an order from us, you know that the Taco Touch extends to our fulfillment and our orders come with the coolest stickers that you've ever had, uh, buying parts from anybody before, and a handful of root beer barrel candies. Um, all of our Taco Moto Co. branded components come with a no questions asked lifetime warranty, and we'll even extend out the warranty of other manufacturers, OEM, and aftermarket parts where we can, sometimes for life. 
we test and tune endlessly and exhaustively and obsessively. We're trying to destroy everything that we can before you get your hands on it to look for weaknesses and to improve it or to make recommendations to the manufacturer. And if it's something that doesn't uh, meet grade, then we don't offer it on the store. Everything that we carry is something that we have personally used, tested, and ridden and raced and nose meets uh, the high taco touch demanding standard. Go out and get some adventure. Okay, welcome back everybody to the show. Tech Talk Taco Tuesday. This is the show where we talk about motorcycle and motorcycle related products. Thank you to all of our sponsors. The reason sponsors on this show are sponsors on the show is because they like what we're doing. Uh, they trust that uh, we're going to tell you the way it really is. And another guy that will tell you the way that it really is is Tim Skelly from Inside Line Moto. Uh, welcome to the show, Tim. Hey, Jimmy. How's it going? I'm doing great. I hope you're ready for this because the only reason I'm saying that is because I think on the last two shows, uh, we had uh, Logan was around. Remember that Logan uh, kid? He, he was your favorite yep. co-host. And yes. what's, what's really important that you need to realize about Logan was, you know, every once in a while I like to take a little sip, you know, like to have a, let the vocal cords wind down a little bit. Bad, right. bad for all of us. <laughs> but anyways, I, I need Logan to say something at that point. But he actually co-hosted last time. And no, no, he didn't co-host. He, he produced last time and did a really good job. Well, good enough for you to post it up so I can actually listen to it after the fact. Well, when he was doing a good job, I said, well, you're at least making one guy eat his words. <laughs> <laughs> so so I didn't know. We, well, so the funny thing is what people don't understand is like after the show, when we push C, I say C out in the trail and we're all done. Like there's a there's a, a certain amount of stuff that needs to get done to make that kind of go out into the interwebs and then end up as podcasts on SoundCloud and Apple iTunes and all this other stuff. So that's not getting done because, uh, one of my cohorts here lost motivation. This isn't the first time this has happened. We've, we've had this happen, uh, multiple times now in the course of tech talk taco Tuesday. It's probably because I don't think I want to say the word slaves, I mean, indentured servitude would be a little more accurate description of how we treat people around here. But I think you have to have a passion. And I just don't know how you can have a passion unless you're, unless you're part of your slave thing is having access to unlimited dirt bikes and great places to ride and opportunities to go ride brand new motorcycles. And I mean, I don't know why anybody would want to do that. Do you? Uh, you know, I could fill in if you were closer by. I would, uh, you know, use uh, some of my time off to uh, do some volunteer work. I probably should hook you up with Trevor, to, especially when we have the opportunity to go out and ride trail bikes. We've got a really good crew of, of older, I'll call them like Vet MX slash Grand Prix riders and stuff. But I want to get Trevor hooked up with more trail rider guys that, that you know, have a, have a pretty good 
wealth of experience because it's really easy to just find a regular dude that just, you know, is into riding, but somebody that has, you know, a technical knowledge like yourself, been doing it for a long time. Uh, that's, that's, I mean, you don't just get to be a test rider. You have to have some sort of skill that we don't possess. And sometimes that might just be location, which is Southern California for a lot of what we do. Yeah. Well, uh, let me know. I always want to ride. There's no doubt about that. So I got to do a little business here um, because, you know, this is part of the part of the job here. But I'm going to go ahead and hold up some things on the uh, on the screen here. Uh, who else rode a Husaberg today? <laughs> I, I did. Not this one. This is an old picture of me on an old Husaberg. But if, if you didn't ride a Husaberg today, you're you're nothing. <laughs> but I tell you what, uh, in in. New Yamahas are coming out. We're going to ride a YZ250, which this is. This is a YZ250. Next week, Trevor's going to ride a YZ250F. I might try to make my way out there, but I'm holding up a picture of a 1994, I believe, YZ250. And if Trevor can get this rad on a, on a YZ250, I'll shut up because that's – that's pretty good. I got it. I got it clicked. We'll call it clicked out a little bit. My gear is styling for the time. I even wear. I'm wearing a six days an ISD helmet. If you don't know what that is, I used to. Did I ever, uh, Tim? Did I ever tell you how much I used to race back in the day? I've heard. Uh, I've heard some of the bench racing stories. Yeah. So I, you know, I was on the uh, international six days enduro team for the United States. I was actually on the trophy team uh, when I shouldn't have been. I should have been on the junior team because we would have won. But the year they put me back on the junior team, then we won. But you know, I, I don't like to talk about my racing too much on this on this show. So the reason. Oh, let's do some other business. Uh, Trail Tech makes this really cool. Trail Tech, one of our awesome sponsors, makes this really cool tire pumper upper unit and i'm going to turn it on right now live on this show i'm holding up this little trail tech box and it's set to pump up to 33 because i was pumping up a truck tire uh by the way and this thing will do a fully deflated truck tire and it'll do a, a bunch of number of motorcycle tires so i used to have to carry around a big pump when i used to go to the track or when i was going trail riding to make sure my uh my tires were pumped up. This thing is a pretty cool little unit. See, if I just push a couple buttons here, I have to look at it when I do this. I think I push this one here, and it'll change. Yeah, see, that's 2.2. That's for my quad. And then if I go to 22, is it? Uh, no, that's bar. I'm sorry. I'm changing the, the thing. If I push this button here, uh, PSI, yeah. So there's 12.5. That's the one set up for my motorcycles. I just push that button, and then I go like this. And it, it does a little... It does a little bit of that blowing stuff. So, anyways, a nice new product from Trail Tech. They don't just make the Voyager computer and awesome kickstands as well as fans. Fans are probably the most popular. Um, let's see. And then on the uh, what are we testing segment? Oh, Pro Circuit. We're not we're not testing these because we know the Scott goggles are awesome. But uh, the special edition Pro Circuit uh, Scott Prospect goggle. You need these. If you have any goggle problems, it's probably because you're not wearing Scott goggles. I wear them most of the time. I also wear Climb goggles as well because they're also good, but I, the Scots are definitely my favorites. And uh, that's all my products that we're using, testing, and all that stuff. Oh, I'm going to do a review of this thing. Have you ever seen this? Are you are you able to watch on the, uh, on the internets? 
No, unfortunately not. I'm I'm on the phone now with you and no uh, no visual. Right. So I am holding up a tool from engduro.com. E N G D U R O.com. It's a uh, it's basically a, a billet aluminum machined tool rack and it's kind of it uses the I don't know what the you the, the standard kind of uh I don't know the measurement on it, the little fittings, you know, like the little fittings you get for your drill motor, the pop-in drill motor. Okay. And it's... Uh, oh, the quick chucks or whatever. Quick yeah. chucks, yeah. And so it's a magnet in the center, and it's a machined aluminum thing, and all these things kind of uh, slide in, and they stay stuck in, and then it it essentially has uh, the fittings for it, so it's like a, it's like a mini T-handle tool. And I have been using this... Actually, I haven't been using it that much. And I'll tell you why the reason I haven't been using it that much. And we're going to, I want to talk to you about this is I've been carrying less and less tools with me when I ride as I see more and more posts from guys that want to carry fuel pumps and fuel filters and fuel injectors and an extra radiator and a spare chain and a new shock and fork springs with them when they just go on a trail ride because they're so worried about something going wrong. <laughs> and uh, I hate to say it, but I haven't been having that many problems and I've been riding with less and less tools. And in fact, I felt naked the last two times I rode because I kid you, I went riding with no tools whatsoever. Hmm. And it's, it's largely because I started thinking about this. I carry a phone. Okay, phone, and I, and I generally, if I'm riding by myself, I have a tracker. I, over the course of the years, have had so few problems when I'm out riding that, that couldn't be, that actually that required tools. The amount of times I pull tools out when I'm just riding for fun is so few and far between. And I know everybody's like saying, oh, well, you got to be preventive and all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm just going to risk it for a little while, carry my phone rely on my really good support network network when something goes wrong. And I, I might hate myself when I just need a flat bladed screwdriver to fix my problem. But, uh, anyways, yeah. So this, this, this tool, that's why it hasn't been used that much, but in the times I've needed it, like the amount of stuff I can get done with this little sucker, flat Phillips torques, uh, the, the 10, the eight millimeter head, all the stuff I need is all in this one little thing that weighs nothing. It may be replacing my motion pro MP tool or the little socket, little motion pro other little socket thing. So, well, it's cool that it comes with the torques. Cause a lot of people don't carry the torques. Like I've even switched out, you know, my, my clutch and brake uh, reservoir caps to Phillips just because I don't carry that little T 15 or whatever it is, you know, and I want to be able to say, so yeah, I, I the, having the torques is kind of a, a slick uh, idea. Yeah, it's and and you know with the KTM, all of the eight millimeter heads have a T twenty five torques in the center of it. Is that what it is? I think it's a T thirty. T thirty. Yeah, it's a little bit bigger. I, I'm not sure. The, the, the funny thing with the torques is it's so hard to fit, see the sizes, but it's amazing how a T twenty twenty five and thirty will all fit the T twenty five, or somehow you can make it work. Sometimes the big yeah, one's harder work, to get yeah. in there, but I've been able to. I've had a too big of a Torx, and I've made a smaller Torx head screw uh, fit in there. Yeah. I'm answering a chat question, Brenda. Kids goggles. Kids goggles. 
That's that's a extra small helmet and extra small head, just like everything. You know, there's there's kid stuff that fit the uh, smaller people out there. Uh, so you have a new 2024 uh, KTM 300 XCW. We Correct. we saw you on the show a couple weeks ago working on that. You were uh, you just got the bike. You were doing your initial kind of prep and setup. Kind of tell us what you did when you got a brand new bike. And this is in how many years you've been doing motorcycles? Yeah, I'm uh, over 20 now. I forget now, 22 or 24, something like that. Okay. Long time. Worked at a dealership. Yeah, for about 10 or 12 years. Yep. So you have some experience all the way there. Now you work at an independent motorcycle repair shop. Yep. So you, you, you know all these things. And... What did you do to set up your new bike? Yeah, uh, well, I did order it uh, from a, a shop out of state, so I got it in a crate, uh, which was easy. Just you know, simple. Put the front wheel on, put the handlebars on, and it was more or less ready to start. Uh, but I took it apart quite a bit. You know, I greased the steer head, I greased the uh, swing arm bearings uh, on a linkage bike. We would grease all the linkage as well. That. How much, you know, Matt and I have, how much did it need it? It a lot, you know, Matt and I joke that that's one of the places they save weight is by not putting much grease in there because grease is heavy. Um, But we actually have given it more thought because we are kind of deep thinkers on all things motorcycles. And Matt and I have come to the conclusion, even though we've never talked to anybody from KTM or any of the manufacturers about it, we think it's because it has something to do with the assembly line. They don't want you know, too much grease in these areas, you know, going down the assembly line, if they're globbing the grease on, like, you know, we would prefer more along the lines of heavy grease instead of light grease. But, you know, they come when I took us, I've taken swing arm pivot bolts out before and literally they are bone dry, absolute raw metal, nothing on my fingers. So, you know, obviously that's going to rust if any humidity even gets in there, let alone some water. So, you know, go through, grease it good, and, you know, kind of give uh, give all that uh, a look over and, and a lube up. But, uh, you know, check all the nuts and bolts. There's a lot of things. All, obviously, all those accessories I put on, all the guards, um, you know, uh, all get put on carefully, and everything's paid close attention to. Uh, re-oil the air filter. Um, you know, but other than that, I didn't, I didn't do, you know, too terribly much. Uh, you know, and I was stoked. I never had to uh, open my tool bag out on the trail for the first week that I rode it. You wait know, a minute. I, wait I a minute. Hold, to... on, hold on. So technically, you could have ridden with yes. no tools. Yes. Oh, I, and we didn't we didn't talk about this before you came on. This is this is this is news nope. to me. <laughs> and I've yeah, I've been slimming down how many tools I carry because yeah, I, I as a mechanic I know how many things can break. No, no extra. Just, you I didn't. You didn't. You're, you're on a KTM. You didn't carry an extra cylinder and a new ceramic piston. Nope, I did not. And but, absolutely uh, not. Know, I do carry I'm, quite a bit. I'm not saying this because Yamaha sponsors this show. Yamaha. Uh, makers of the awesome YZ250X that could be just as good as whatever Tim, uh, Tim was riding, except it has a carburetor and a Kickstarter. That Those are two things that your bike does not have. Correct. <laughs> okay, back to... Back or, to and, and it doesn't have a counterbalancer either. There's mine, no, nope, nope. You, why, why would you want that extra weight spinning around uselessly inside of your motor to create... Uh, a bike that doesn't handle is light and efficient. 
Right. Well, and that other that other gear in the transmission, it doesn't have either. You know, it's which one? Which one? Have, which which one are you talking about? The sixth one? That one that makes it a full half dozen. Yeah. It's, it's right. skimped, and uh, they only right. give you five of them. So okay, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna just uh, just ask a question here. So during your ride, this 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 ride, awesome ride you went on in Colorado and Idaho, how many times were you in fifth gear, wide open? And then you needed to shift to sixth to to go faster. Mm, the place I was was not that kind of place. Oh, I, no, I'm just don't I, don't don't make excuses. Yeah. I, I'm I'm really trying to I'm pro- propping you up on the Yamaha here. So you're wide open in fifth gear on your KTM 300. You know, I mean, it's uh, Yamaha's only 250, so it's by me not going as fast. But wide open in fifth gear, pin, and you had to shift into sixth to go faster. No, it never happened. Never happened. I was breaking it in though. Oh, how how many hours did it? Do you, as a, as a professional motorcycle mechanic, <laughs> uh, yeah, I only logged like seventeen hours or eighteen. That's it. Hours. Yeah, I had my five hundred also. So okay. I didn't I didn't ride the three hundred the whole time. <laughs> Got it. No, I'm just I'm just giving you a hard time. I mean, it's hey. So how good is that bike? It is phenomenal. I mean, I, I need a thesaurus just to come up with more wonderful adjectives to describe it because it is just, it's an amazing bike. I really am pleased in every way, starting with, I guess, since we're talking about it, the transmission. The transmission's magic. First gear is granny low. I would find myself lugging through gnarly rocks in second, but, you know, like for a deep river crossing or something, I'd always make sure to downshift to first to make sure I got enough you know power to get me through it not lugging it too much because i didn't want to stall it although i don't know that i stalled it ever um so yeah the tranny was awesome did, and then did, fifth and they, and sixth gear, have they changed that from 2023 you know i don't know i i don't i haven't spent a ton of time on the newer generation you know 17s 18s you know with the counterbalancer and then obviously the new t- newer tpi you know uh, six speeds and you know so I, i'm not sure how the trannies on those compare i know the t the tpis lug down to super super low also right um, so that's right. this is this is the question is like it's like i don't think i have a problem i have a i have a 19 300 tpi and i don't think I have any issues with that transmission. I think I think it's really really good. Maybe first gear right. might be just a tad tall uh, for my liking because I do st- I like to do stupid stuff that that requires probably a lower ratio first gear than most people would like. But I don't really notice a first to second gap. I wouldn't. I, I would actually. I would actually not mind a first to second gear gap if i got a little lower first on my on my 300 but i will tell you that going from a carbureted one to a tpi the 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 throttle response and the and we'll call it well just for lack of a better better word call it jetting it i don't think that it would if you're at a steady throttle position wherever it is in that first five percent of throttle i don't think it's any quote better if you're holding it steady but if you change it I guarantee you that the the TPI adapts to the change better. In other words, it doesn't it doesn't bog or kind of miss a stroke or two and then hit. Right. So I don't know if that I, it would be interesting. I'd, I'd have to see a spec chart to see the gears. 
Uh, yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, what's interesting is the the new bike comes geared with a 1345 sprockets. Wow. Um, which I just thought was interesting. And the only one of the things I was thinking of they might be doing that for is just you get a slightly shorter chain and slightly smaller sprockets all weigh a tiny bit less. So I don't know if it's a weight uh, thing. I will tell you that if uh, KTM can save some weight, they're going to do it. I, you know, I've watched right. just even some of the brake parts that they've changed and some of the, you know, it, it's like I, I've, in my opinion, sometimes they've sacrificed some uh, different things in engine mounts for weight as opposed to, I don't want to say better handling. It's just the characteristic went away from what I wanted, but they changed materials or shapes. And I'm like, wow, you did that. And, and I could feel this. And sure enough, I could switch it back to an older part that it may have been quote less durable, but of a lighter material. And I like the handling characteristics better, but yeah, crazy. Uh, so 13, somebody has to pull out the calculator. Somebody in the chat do this 1345 compared to 1449. I think was what used to be standard. I'm I'm a fourteen fifty, by the way, on on my yeah. bike. I, I go between fourteen fifty yeah. and fourteen fifty two because the because the axle blocks in the KTM, which is actually really bitching. The axle blocks, you switch it around and you can go two teeth smaller on the rear. Uh very simple. Right. Yeah. So uh Okay, so actually, okay, like the motor, like the transmission. I'm, I'm, I'm blaming uh, the the TPI, TBI now that you have everybody, but also that new power valve, the electronic power valve, right, is so much more responsive in how it, you know, how it's programmed as opposed to mm-hmm. just being an old mechanical device. Yeah, you know, I mean, it. the power felt smooth. And again, I was riding just gnarly, rocky, single track stuff. So it wasn't, you know, out here, out in California, you know, riding my normal desert trails where, you know, I'm using more mid and, and high RPM stuff. So the thing lugs super, super low and just, you know, really, really tractable. And it never loaded up. It, you know, there was a little bit of, you know, spooge coming down the tailpipe, but it never felt like I needed to rev it out. There was some times that I got pretty tired and I was just lugging it in second gear through gnarly rocks for many, many minutes on end. And with my old carbureted bike, that would have been a problem. Um, you know, even though I had the jetting pretty good, it still would load up over, you know, 10 minutes of lugging. You know, it, it would be a problem where, you know, I would, you know, get on the throttle after 10 minutes of lugging and it, it never skipped a beat. It never burbled. It never stumbled. Um, you know, it felt uh, felt clean throughout as if, you know, I had been varying the throttle, you know, throughout. So I was totally pleased with the did, with the fueling. Did you there's one thing I really noticed and I went from carbureted to, to, to TPI with oil injection and the beta did this as well. So we're talking mostly about the oil injection here is that if you're mm-hmm. lugging, let's say you're on a seven-mile trail section, gnarly, gnarly trail, you know, low, low, first and second gear stuff, and you hop out on a road, and the first time you get on it, remember the old bike would always, and then clean out? Right, got to clear out. Right, yeah. it's got to clean did, out. Did your bike have to clear out? No. No. This Never. Is, I this never is, felt that once. Yeah, this is oil injection. It's not, it's not TPI or fuel injection. It's oil injection that... Because it, it knows it's programmed to know the RPM you're going at. So at low RPMs, it does less oil. So maybe it's down to 101, where when you come out in the road, the higher RPMs are just, even if you're on the trail at higher RPMs, it's going to be like sending in more like 60 to 1. It's like variable mixture, which is ideally right. what you would want to do. And this is something that uh, 
I think a lot of people, you know, they, they, they get confused, but that's one of the best things about that. And, I, and when people say, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to disconnect my oil injection. I'm like, I haven't really seen too many issues, durability mechanic, especially for regular usage, maybe in racing, you might have a different take, but it depends on how you're racing that this stuff actually, you know, they've tested this. It actually kind of works. And if you're in the, you're in the chat right now and you have a question about a 2024 KTM 300 two stroke or any of the, you know, any of the new bikes that we might have experience riding, go ahead and throw it up there in the questions and we'll definitely get Tim to ride it. Cause he's spent some time in these. I have not, uh, I've ridden last year's XC's a little bit, uh, but then I kind of know how they work. So I have to be careful. Well, I, I don't have to be careful what I say. I'll just tell you, I don't know. But if you have any questions about these bikes and, uh, Todd, uh, no, who is, uh, who was it here? Uh, TW says every new bike is always the best because you just kicked out $12,000 for it. Did you, did you spend $12,000 Tim? Uh, I got a good deal. Got a good deal. <laughs> and you said you bought it out of state cause you know, two strokes are illegal in California from what we hear. Uh, California is getting no, none of the money, none of my tax money, if I can avoid it. <laughs> right on. So I'll buy it out of state. I'll register it out of state and I'll ride it wherever I please. Yeah. Good on you. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I can't, I, I'm really still, uh, confused about how the two stroke emissions of dirt bikes are causing the big air quality problems in California. But, uh, Steven Santon says he's always pinned looking for a seventh gear. Uh, on a KTM 350 four-stroke, see, because I because somebody just did somebody just released some charts on KTM four-stroke transmissions. This is why I was asking if it was changed, because they were they were they were complementing what KTM did to the new four-stroke transmissions. And I looked at it, and and from what I remember, it was a lot more like a 350 transmission, which is more we'll call it semi-close as opposed to the wider ratio transmissions of old. And I get it. I mean, some people like close transmissions as opposed to wide. I prefer wide. I can I can rev it a little longer before I shift when I learn a bike, but I prefer the range. I like a low low first. I like a kind of we'll call it overdrive sixth. And I don't think the 300 has that. I wouldn't call six quote an overdrive. Did you notice that or feel yeah, that? Honestly, I felt I felt like it was amazing. It it really got on the highway, and I you know would kind of rip it through the gears, and I would think I was in six, and I'd click up, and there was another one. So I could cruise at a nice low RPM on the highway at you know 55 and i would be still very comfortable at 60 yeah which you know on a two-stroke you don't want to be humming a two-stroke on the highway for long periods of time and i could easily do 55 60 you know as long as i need to uh whenever so i thought that was pretty good that sounds similar to my to my like like i would say i can do 65 and it's it's revving a little too much you know going 65 on my on my two-stroke but it's it's not too much to where I'm concerned about it. It just it's just kind of like a, we'll call it annoying RPM. It's not that it can't yeah. do it. Uh, and no, it, it's just it's, not a comfortable RPM to be at. So yeah, yeah, I was pleased. So I can cover the miles when I need to, and I'll be curious to see what it does in the desert when I really want to, you know, rip and 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 feel it pull hard in fifth and sixth you know, to, to do those desert speeds. You know? I think you're going to really like it. I raced, I raced mine earlier in the year at a, at a sprint enduro and they had some high speed valleys and stuff. And like you, I was in fifth and found sixth, you, you know, where, yeah. and it was, and I had, I think I, no, I don't think I had the 52. I think I was running the 50 on that at that time. Cause I know I switched wheels back and forth 
and I had different wheels because I was also the day before I rode a, uh, a 500 and I might have had a 52 on that one for some reason. But anyways, yeah, I, I, it, it went faster than I wanted to go. And I think we're old enough to know when too fast is too fast. I mean, not Vegas Torino fast, but, yep. uh, you know, just going crawling across the desert. Hey, uh, so overall pretty, anything else that you want to tell us about that? Well, motorcycle? yeah, I was going to, especially cause Cole was just on from, from flex bars. I did put flex bars on this one, uh, which I have them on my e-bike, but I didn't have them on my dirt bikes yet. I went ahead and set this bike up with flex bars right out of the gate, you know, cause the rocks, you know, get harder as we get older. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's all I'm looking for is plushness. I just don't want to feel the sharpness of the rocks. Cause you know, like you always say, after a couple of days, it really starts to kind of wear on you. So I did that. I went ahead and went with the soft elastomers and I was joking about it today that that's really not good for suspension testing. <laughs> because I thought the suspension was awesome. I didn't feel any, you know, need to soften it up. When I've talked to guys that are testing these new bikes and they were telling me, oh, yeah, soften up the fork, you know, four to six clicks, do this and do that. And it's like I didn't touch the fork clickers until like day three or four because the, the flex bars were doing so much. Um, so I was actually thinking, you know, I should put stock bars on and really do suspension testing. But uh, just listening to you and Cole talk, I think just putting the hard elastomers in, you know, just to kind of dial in the suspension a little bit, you know, and not have the the, the handlebars, you know, uh, doing so much. Over, override you know, a stiff uh, fork. Would be a good way. Yeah. And, and right. I, I, that's the first thing I said about flex bars is they make bad forks feel good. It was before right. I realized how much the, how much of a benefit they do. And th- th- this this conversation was not a paid endorsement. We didn't talk about this beforehand. Yep. Uh, another 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 thing. Hey, and they may not be for you, but uh, more than likely they're for you, whether you want to admit it or not. <laughs> so, well, because I was looking at my forks and my the, you know they the new forks come with those red rings on the right, chrome for, tubes. You know, show, so you kind of see they show how right. far the fork has gone down in the stroke. Right. Well, on day two, like the end of day two, they were still like four or five inches from the bottom. It's like, clearly the fork is a little on the stiff side. You know, I could afford to soften it up some, but you check your oil level. Yeah. Um, I forget what it said at, but Matt, Matt took my fork all apart, mapped out the valving and then resprung it for my weight. Right. So he kept the standard valving in there. Correct. He just mapped it out. He wanted to see what was in there. We've talked about changing the pressure spring like they do in the 6,500 fork. It comes with a 20 pound pressure spring. Um, and we can go either 16 or like the 6,500 kit comes with a 12 pound spring. Those are all things we're going to test, but I was joking that I'm going to have to put the hard elastomers in my fork just to, you know, really be feeling the fork instead of, you know, feeling the handlebar flex. Yeah. It, 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 it does make a difference. And it's funny because if you get, if you get your fork dialed in, and then you put the bars on, you'll find yourself going to a stiffer setting on the fork. I, I this yeah. is always what I've done because I, I feel like I get a little bit better um, control if I if my fork isn't absorbing the bumps. And same thing with tires. Like I found that I can take a pound or two out of the tire pressure and do some similar stuff to you know as far as feel. But then the handling goes away because it, it wobbles, and so you're always trying yeah. to find this you know. Um, different things so zach humphreys has a question did the frame change affect the handling on the 24 ktm xcf like it has on the sx bikes or are they different frames 
as far as I know, the frames have that similar new design, you know, that the fuel pump and everything is all kind of different because of that new uh, frame design. But as far as the exact difference between SX and XC, I'm, I'm not, well, yours, you know, I'm not is, yours sure. is different because it's XCW. So your, your shock Correct. mounting Mine's is PDS. Di- yeah, PDS. So Correct. it's a little bit different, but yeah, I think they, I think they try to make it so that all the stuff that bolts on XCF, SX, XCW kind of bolts on in a very similar fashion besides the airbox boot and the, and the shock. Cause there's a little bit of differences there, but the, I think their KTM is going for a, a, a slightly different, uh, handling feel. And I don't care what you hear about, like the pro racers saying and stuff, they are not riding stock bikes and the problems they have are not problems that you would ordinarily experience. So, you know, generally the direction they start going with these production bikes is a way that's that their development and test riders and these manufacturers use a wide range of riders. They feel that that's a better direction to go. And yeah, of course they make mistakes over time, but I don't think that, um, when I rode the new, when I rode the new chassis on the KTMs, I said, this is, this is kind of a better direction. It was just, it was a little, we'll call it a little more predictable and comfortable than the, the previous generations, which may not lead itself to being as precise for a high-level guy. And I think a lot of manufacturers have gone down this road. It's a double-edged sword when you start going that direction that, that feels better for regular people. It puts the bike, it makes the bike more difficult to tune for for people with particular needs and we'll call those racers, <laughs> which is, uh, yeah. are, are you really racing? And I mean, if you're, and we're talking about racing at the highest level, you need it. Like we're trying to, we're trying to build a formula one car that everybody can buy and ride. And most people actually it's proven like they've had, they've had quote high level journalists go try to drive a formula one car and they won't even drive it fast enough to make, the features of the car, in other words, the ground effects of the aerodynamics work because they're petrified. Well, if you tried, and I've ridden factory race bikes from all the manufacturers over lots of different time periods, and I they're some of the worst bikes I've ever ridden. Are they good for their intended purpose? Probably, but I wasn't that good to do it. Are they good for the rider? That's not for me to say, but the fact that I was usually riding that bike because it won a championship or the manufacturer was trying to show off a bike that was doing really well, uh, it was great for that rider, but not for me. So that's the, uh, that's the, that's the, the truth there. So uh, I, don't think that's a, I don't think that's a problem, uh, Zach. And Mike Kmet says uh, TTT needs a tequila sponsor. Uh, I think so. Uh, you want to disagree with me, Tim? Yeah, I'm not going to need any uh, tequila sponsors, but uh, I'll let you have all of that. No, I, I'll yeah, I'll I'll uh, I'll have one for you. But <laughs> anyways, tonight's uh, tequila is Sincuro. Um, uh, 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 I'm trying to think who I should uh, throw this one out to here. Mark Daniels. He's because he has T T T T T. He has an extra T in his T T's. But uh, yeah, we'll have that a uh, little bit later. I have a lot of questions tonight. Will you be willing to stick on and answer? help me answer some of these uh, questions? Sure. Okay. So you, you may not, because you can't see this because you're doing it on the phone. I'm wearing a very nice hat that I was provided by my good friends at Inside Light Moto. Inside Light Moto. Yeah, I saw and, that. Looking good. A local Orange County shop 
that uh, does independent shop that knows their stuff. I know because I used to go to these guys when I was working at the magazine and uh, would swing down there usually to get really sage advice on what was going on in the real world because we lived in this vapor sphere uh, world where everything that was uh, given to us was perfect. And But I wanted to know what the real world was doing, so I would go talk to these guys. I remember them from working at uh, old uh, Z Racing back in the days. And uh, both uh, Tim and Matt uh, just seem like really good guys. So if you need your bike worked on down there, I mean, we're we're a worldwide podcast. We have millions of viewers from all over the globe. But if you're in the Orange County area and you show up and you say, I didn't know anything about this. I need a good shop. I'm kind of in the Orange County area, inside Line Moto. I, I decided to come here because I heard about it in a Tech Talk Taco Tuesday. They might be extra nice to you. Do you think? We might, you know, if, uh, yeah, we're, uh, we're overflowing with work already. Uh-oh. So, uh, we'll try not to sound impatient and, uh, <laughs> irritated, but just, you know, it's just tough. We're busy right now. It's that, crazy. That's good. We, ha- I, 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 I hate to, hate to break the news. We had another sponsor drop out cause they're doing too good. So the advertising on this yeah. show is actually helping companies to, 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 to do too good. So if you are a beer or tequila company and you want to do too good, um, let me know, and I can I can probably work you into a, into the program. Uh, Steven Stanton says Flex Bars pervert, preferred versus Mako. Uh, yes, uh, I it's say, funny, and it, I say yes, and I'll 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 talk to this. Go ahead, you first. Well, it's funny because my buddy that I was riding with while I was breaking in my new bike, he has an eighteen Husky. And he has the uh, the Mako 360. He had just put them on, and he likes them. They're, it's a good product. There's nothing wrong with them. But in my opinion, you just get a lot more from the flex bars. You know, there's you know there's vibration dampening and stuff happening with the Mako 360, and and that's cool. But the the flex bars do more. You know, and and that's where you know when you really hit that square edge, you know, curb like rock, I think that the flex bars just you know, flat out are doing more. So I don't think the Mako 360 is a bad product, but you know, if, if, if I'm spending my money, which is, you know, my money to spend is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely putting it on flex bars, not, not the other, although it'd be interesting to see what the two together would do. I've, I've since done, all I want the plushness. I've done a lot of back to back and I actually helped in the very early days of, of Mako with the flex bars they had sent. Cause they knew I was a proponent of this and they were literally struggling to, even to get people to give them honest feedback on on their bar. If they gave it to somebody and said they'd sponsor them, they got really good feedback and they'd give it to other riders and they were struggling. And so and he went through some of the very similar things in the in the early phases, you know, especially like elastomer um, development movement. But I did did a lot of stuff, helped him a little bit with his elastomers, and then he kind of went his own way. And I was I at that time I was kind of going, Yeah, this thing has some merit. But the the for me the problem with the Mako is is exactly what kind of Cole talks about is that steering plane it absorbs everything all different directions not to say it's good or bad it's a different feeling and for me that that when you got a certain directional hit that the Mako because the bars moved together and I think you might have maxed out the elastomer I felt that the impact that I didn't want where the flex bar would still continue to avoid where the Mako, I've got a little bit of a vague front end feel. And so, like I said, some people don't really know, but it's a, it's sort of a, it's a this or that. Uh, I would go with flex all day long, just like, just like you did. Uh, but to be honest with you, there, there's, 
for certain types of things definitely works really well. Uh, I do oftentimes run a flat. I think if you're trying to get rid of vibration, by the way, the Mako might actually be better. I don't think the yeah. flex bar does a whole lot quote, quote for vibration. Uh, even though they'll tell you that it does. I think that, that the vibration, especially certain trans certain, uh, rev ranges can transmit through, but on some of my bikes, I run like the BRP bar mount cause it comes with a Scott stamper and I have a flex bar on top of it. That's my standard setup. And whether it's a two stroke or four stroke, I run a different elastomer because of the, where the vibrations are and the, the BRP mount, and not on the flex bar, on the BRP mount. The BRP mount does the vibration dampening where the flex bar handles the 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 fork, you know, the fork chassis feel. Uh, so as a as a way to talk about it. So, anyways, yeah, thanks for the thanks for the question there. Uh, we can answer nine out of ten without referring to a reference manual. And thanks, Tim, for backing me up on that one. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's hit Yeah, the... I was gonna sit go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, you, you're well. You're, I was going to say, in a in a perfect world, I would have liked to break my bike in for a day, like more close to stock, you know. Because again, I went right to flex bars and and just went road gnarly rocks instead of, you know, riding it stock and then putting them on to really feel the effect. I did ride it without a stabilizer, and I got uh, the new Precision uh, stabilizer in now. I haven't put it on yet, but I definitely miss not having a stabilizer, even in like the Erzberg type gnarly rocks. I was, I actually noticed the, the, you know, the lack of a stabilizer and, uh, you know, I look forward to seeing what it'll do with it, you know, but, uh, I don't know. That's, that's where it's like, you know, I, I did make quite a few changes right up front. So I didn't, uh, you know, I don't have uh, stock to compare it to. Yeah. Okay. And that leads me on to my next question for you, which we're going to do after we do some questions is, is, uh, about customer bikes coming in brand new and modifying brand new bikes before you ride them. But I would just say on top of that, I have never ridden a bike that did not benefit from a good steering stabilizer ever. It, it's like I can put them on there and I don't know it's there, but when I need it, it works. And just yep. to say this, I run a Scott steering stabilizer, steering damper. I've run the Scots. I helped develop them early, early days, a long time ago, helped make one of the pivotal decisions that made the Scots the Scots. But I just bought one. If you want to know, I can, I can generally figure out a way to get one. And they're they're few and far, they're hard to get. <laughs> I've been around for a long time. I just bought one because I needed to get one for a bike that didn't have one. So, uh, anyways, there's onto that. So we're gonna start running down through some of the questions. So the question uh, we're talking about uh, some of the questions we have on the uh, WR450 video we did. It says, so does this bike have the new chassis? And this is a whiteout snowy asks no, but the new for 24 WR450, which I'm going to show a picture of on the screen right now. Now, look at that, Jim. That gets the new chassis. So amazingly, the WR450 next year is going to be all new. It's going to be just like the 23YZ. So both, that was kind of surprise news from Yamaha. It was released late, the info. But the uh, new WR450F is just like the FX. And it's, again, not for sale in California because you communists that live in California are cannot have a bike without a, a VAP canister on the uh, charcoal canister on the uh, gas tank. Cause it, so it, Yamaha's not even going to let us buy it as a race bike? Uh, nope. You cannot buy them in California. They just legally, they can't wow. do it 
because it, so, but it is going to come completely corked up, just like the old one. It looks when I look That's at the funny. picture, it still has the steel sprocket. It comes with the kickstand. It's going to have the throttle stop, but it has a. It literally has the button on it now to change maps, but it changes traction control, not actually maps. So, but you, I'm sure you will be able to buy a a new uh, a, a GYTR competition e- ECU for it as well. So, just so you know, uh, Yamaha released the WR450F for 24. It's all new, and uh, so that's uh, that's the thing. Um, and but oh, Whitey Snowy also says better to go with the YZ450FX. It's less restrictive, better flowing pipe, more horsepower, etc. All those statements are correct in some ways, but maybe some people would like to have the lights, which it's a different ignition, more power coming out of the ECU, a slightly different suspension setting that may suit your riding. So hey, that's why Yamaha makes a WR and an FX, so you can try both of them. And now they're both uh, the latest, greatest as as far as the, uh, you know, YZ spec goes. But my issue is I have a a 23 sitting in the garage WR that I'm making into the best ultimate bike ever, which if you want to come out and do a shootout, Tim, we'll ride that. We'll go back to back your bike, my bike, and we'll see which one's better. Yeah. And of course, since I'm a journalist and I'm skewed, I would only say that the Yamaha is best because they are a sponsor of the show. You know this, right? Of course, I know how it works. <laughs> no, uh, anyhow. And then uh, Wander Bergen six two oh nine is asking about our YZ two fifty FX. Would riding handlebar position be similar to that of other Yamahas like the TTR? You know the answer to this. TTR versus YZ FX. Yeah, there's no comparison. What is he talking about? Yeah, it's well, he he's definitely a, a newer rider that's kind of just curious. Oh, he might, okay. might have a yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, do you, do you get regular you know ordinary people that don't, haven't ridden dirt bikes for twenty years ever come to the shop? Yeah, it's funny. I actually had a Yamaha 125 come in the just actually today this morning. Uh, TTR YZ. It, it was a T. I know. I totally thought it was a YZ125, and he showed up with a TTR. I was like, "Oh, we're talking about a kid's bike." No, but um, it was it was it. He was he was a he was a five ten man, and he brought this bike in, and it was his. Uh, no, it was oh, a, it was it was his first kids. kid or somebody. And the pilot jet was plugged. No, actually, I'm, it might have been. I didn't even <laughs> run the bike. All I did was threw a front tube in it. But. Okay. <laughs> for sure so uh yeah there's there's there is that uh, good good job that's an easy call easy service yep okay uh, on a crf 250l and these i know these are out of your wheelhouses because these are just you know these are we we try to help out everybody on this show we don't care if you've been riding forever uh this has become yeah. kind of irrelevant because there is a 300 out now i i want to say absolutely not because do you know how many used CRF250Ls there will over the course of the next 20 years be on the on the uh, on the used bike market? A lot. I would imagine quite a few. Because a guy that buys a CRF250L 3 years ago, they're if they like riding, what do you think they're going to be looking at next? Something better. A Yamaha, of course, <laughs> right? A Blue Crew? Some, something less Chinese. <laughs> less Chinese. A Cove 450? Maybe. 
Well, those are performance Chinese. Not... I, 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 we got a lot of Cove questions, by the way. Uh, you, I, you should ride one. It, it's. I would, I would throw a leg over it. Uh, you know what? For you specifically, you should buy one. And I'm not kidding, because I know what kind of riding you do. Yeah. You, man, the Cove might be your bike, because. Tim Tim just takes off. He, he usually takes his KTM 950, which is a definitely a well set up, well used, ridden hard, put away wet, and re-ridden again and again. KTM 950. But how many times you got on your KTM 950 riding around, and you think, I kind of want to go there, but you know that you're on a KTM right. 950. Well, and that's the problem. Being on a 950 by myself really limits where I can go. When I'm on a solo ride, I'm very limited as to what I'll try because it's 600 pounds. And if it doesn't go well, I'm by myself and that can be a problem where on a smaller, you know, adventure type bike, you know, or, or even my 500, I, you know, have more liberty to try stuff because, you know, I can get myself out. Right. And in, in reality, when, when I was riding my Tenere, and Matt was riding the Cove 450, and we got into something super gnarly. I got off my Tenere, hopped in the Cove, and went and checked it out yeah. because it was like this is going to be way safer. And we were we were in, I, I want to say we were in shit. We weren't to deep shit yet, but I'm smart enough not to ride my adventure bike into deep shit. So I took this, which is also adventure bike, and it did everything my Tenere did on the entire ride. And I decided to take that to go realize, okay, if I go any farther, then I'm going to be in deep shit and we have to turn around. So I went down there, looked at it, turned around, came back, said, okay, we're going back the way we came. Uh, That speaks volumes to to what that bike is capable of and what it is. But uh, yeah, Cove. Uh, So yeah, Cove might be for you. I, I should, I should. When, when I told him when when he he's sold out, they're sold. Those things are selling. People are talking about him. It's yeah. all good. Uh, when I get a chance, I would like to get an actual total production one because ours have been ridden a lot. And just uh, do what I normally do with the bike test and and go out and ride it and and make sure that it's all what it's all cracked up to be. And we said this about is ours was an early production. I don't know if it's completely standard or not, but I think it was or at least close to it and pretty good. So. Um, the KTM Freeride, that's the electric bike. Bring it to the mountain single track. It's not a desert bike, says uh, Sir Marsh 3756. So, uh, Sir Marsh, I rode it in the mountains. <laughs> I just don't have a video. I don't just like, I'm not like an Instagrammer that videos myself everything I do, like everything but taking pisses on the side of the trail. I don't do that and just repost it. So. I, I rode it everywhere. And I'm known and as the pisser. And they're on. Di- oh, you do you forget to turn your GoPro off while you're taking a leak? Well, no, because I I drink a lot of coffee in the morning before I ride, and I've I've ridden with some of the uh, you know influencers. Oh, and, they and say every you time stop we stop, uh, well, no, every oh, time we stop, film. they're photoing. Oh. oh, they're taking photos, and it's like I'm turning around just away from everybody taking a whiz. Uh, hey, and, have you ever you done know. that thing where you can like, well, you're kind of riding because you know you're on a ride, you don't want to hold anybody, so you kind of unbutton and get everything kind of unzipped while you're riding, so you can just literally step off the side of the bike and just let it go. And, no, I usually take my time when it uh, comes to to doing that. Oh, I this is race. This is the racer in me. You know, I used to race motorcycles. Yeah, racer. Yeah, yeah. I it, it, yeah. Have, like, a little history in this. I could, I could. You know that the the first stage I ever won in Dakar, you know my time included. You know, it, stop. It, oh yeah, one of those and a full on dump ski. 
Nice. I I did it. I did a number two on on the in included in my stage time, which I won by eight minutes. I don't like to talk about you nice. know beating Stefan Peterhansel by eight minutes in the Dakar Rally stage, but you know they said it was the stage that was going to separate the men from the boys. But so I you know I was a man and I stopped and took a just dropped a number two. I I mean you have to. What are you going to do? You're riding all day. It was only like eight or nine hours of riding. Little day, short day yeah. in the Dakar. Not like these pussy stages that the kids do these days. Ricky tells me how hard it is, and never like to believe him. Uh, okay, back to the questions. Um, somebody tells me about the Cove. Says the DR650 weighs about the same as that, which is crazy. No. It's Chinese. <laughs> it's it's not crazy. This thing's carrying a large amount of fuel, big gas tanks. Um, a DR650, I wouldn't call it a light bike, but I think the motors are made very similarly. In other words, to last a long time. So uh, bikes hmm. 0420. What do you think bikes 0420 spare other uh, bad habit is? I mean, you know, part-time activity. <laughs> yeah i could take a guess yeah i guess okay uh uh pod rick pain 3167 is asking about the ktm 450 xew says can you get a green sticker for it this is a good question no. i you cannot on the 450 not that i know of but i have heard that there might be a green sticker version coming out which is going to be just as choked up as an exc and yeah. it'll get a green sticker, but I have not heard anything that confirms that. Yeah, it has to be, and the reason is, is because, like I talked about, like the reason the Yamaha can't be sold in California is in California you need to have an evaporative emissions setup that includes a charcoal canister on the fuel tank venting. And they they have this on the EXC, of course, but on the XCWs, I don't know if they integrated it. It goes up in the frame. It slides, you know where this slides up. It slides up in the frame mm -hmm. down tube, and it's it's right. inside there on the EXCs. It doesn't affect the performance whatsoever, but it 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 does include some bulk and some extra hoses and a little piece onto the wiring harness to, to connect the, the thing that turns on and off when you start the bike. So it sucks the fumes out of the charcoal canister. So I don't know if it's green sticker, but it needs to have all that stuff. And that's why the Yamaha said, Yamaha basically said, screw it. Uh, we're not, we, we're not going to do that. So, uh, back to this before we get heavy into the cove questions, Mr. Lewis, he says, I have been enjoying your blog on the Tenere 700. I say, well, thank you. He has a 2023, and I was wondering if you knew anyone who can program the ECU, ECU to smooth out throttle response off vital. I am in Southern California, and I believe it is caused by our crazy emissions. Any help would be much appreci appreciated. Keep up the good work. Steve. So Steve C. Uh, so I don't think that the emissions on the Yamaha Tenere are any different in California versus all the other states. I, I happen to have uh, a California registered Tenere 700. Of course, it's my wife's bike, even though I'm, I ride it most of the time. And I don't think that the, uh, the throttle response is off of idle is because of emissions. It could be a little bit actually because Basically, if you do a quick snap of the throttle, like you snap it, that's that's a very dirty moment for a motorcycle. And so 
they can't have that because it, it would fail the test. So I don't think that's a California thing. I think it's it's an everything thing. This is why I think it's a little bit different. But if you – I haven't found an ECU programming, but I, I just got a throttle tube. So a different uh, G2 throttle tube that I'm trying to see if it helps it. I do have a different programmed ECU. It hasn't fixed this. I'm talking to them. I'm going to talk to them about fixing this, but I just need more time uh, to test it since I have to uh, do I have to do my uh, blog on food critiquing and then I have to do my cat petting videos uh, that I, I do and I haven't started up my OnlyFans account yet, so I'm busy doing some other things, but I'll get to your a thing for that so am i right tim uh sounds like it but i haven't ridden the uh tenerary so i'm not sure but oh you you you, know. you you sell your ktm in 20 seconds you should ride my tenerary it's pretty it's pretty good right now sounds sounds like i need to make a road trip out there when that road opens and uh, we could spend a weekend testing all kinds of stuff we could we could do this and then you have to stay around for tuesday you could be in studio and you could just slap me up silly and talk while i you know have the rest of my Sankuro. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Next uh, next question here. Uh, thanks for all your videos and sage advice. How do you avoid covering the surface of the rim that is in contact with the tire with moose sauce? Don't you want to avoid that to prevent the front tire with no rim lock from rotating, says Todd. Tim? Front tire should always have a rim lock. Well, if you're running mooses, you got to have rim lock. Uh, you know, it's funny in our in our rally racing days, we never ran a rim lock on the fronts, and mm. it was it was I think for the same reason that this person was recommended from a very knowledgeable person to not put a rim lock in his front. I think both wheels they might have told him not to put a rim lock in it because they're 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 basically doing a, a tour from Baja. A, point to point and they're not planning on changing tires or wheels and they want them all to be running mooses and they're very specific specific about what moose to do they talk about how to lube it and so this guy knows both the tour guide and myself and he he reached out to me and started asking some questions and i said follow the guy who's doing the tour's advice because we the the tour guide and i i don't want to say disagree on brands we've have have different luck with different brands of stuff and I said, hey, I, although I disagree with the brand, everything he told you is okay. Do you ever notice how when you're running your moose with rim locker without, it's always going to seep out of the sides? Especially oh, when, when you... It leaks and makes a huge mess. Yeah, yeah it, it leaks. Oh, I hate that shit. It's, it's, it's kind of like you rode through a field of bugs and they, they, they got, you know, the pretty fork sticker that you have on your motorcycle gets all... Yeah. And you can't, you can't see your sponsors or whatever. But yeah, so it, it's going to leak out no matter what. So even if it's there's a little bit extra on there, um, how do you how do you avoid it getting all over the tire? Well, number one, I only lube inside the tire. I do not lube the moose before I put it in. I lube the inside of the tire, and I put the amount that you would put on both the moose and the tube, which is generally one whole tube of lube if you have tubes on the front and one and a half in the rear. That's sort of my amount that I usually use. It all goes in the tire. It's very well spread out in the tire. And then I stuff the moose in there. And there's usually a little bit extra. And sometimes, depending on the moose, I will rub that on the on the moose that's sticking out of the tire. Or I'll actually put it around the band of the rim. 
so that there's moose. And once you ride it, it's all going to spread out. I mean, when you see it trying to squirt out of the side of the sidewall, there's plenty right. in there. It's, it's everywhere. It's, it's everywhere. Right. It's doing its job. You hit some bumps. You get some rotation. You know, the tire sits. It's drooling all over the place. That is a messy bunch of junk. So, so if you're running no rim lock, if you can get on the brakes hard enough to make that tire slip substantially during that one braking moment, I'm not going to tell you that if you mark the tire and mark the rim, you're going to see that tire migrate over the course of time. But if you can get on the brakes hard enough to get it to move and you can feel it on your brakes, you feels like your brake isn't working that well or something, uh, either A, you're really good on the brakes or uh, B, <laughs> you put your way moose is undersized. Yeah, your moose is undersized. Yeah, you put way too much lube, and your moose is undersized. It's not pushing out there on top. So this isn't this isn't something I would really worry about too much. Uh, but what that will help with, and I re- think the reason they suggest no rim lock on the front is for wheel balance. Number one, and generally the mooses tend to fail. Well, mooses tend to fail because they're under lube, number one, and improper is installation, number two, which generally means the person that put the tire on broke the bead of the tire. Or not even just the bead, but even maybe one or two wires of a six-wire bead, and that braking caused the tire to do something funny, and then the tire hops like it would if it was way out of balance, and it puts a lot of pressure on the moose in a certain spot, and it wears the moose out in that spot, and then it causes failure way down the road. In my experience, so with with that stuff, I would uh, I'd be careful. But don't yeah, d- d- do do what do what your tour guide says. You know that way when it goes wrong, uh, as long as you didn't do something stupid, uh, at least they can't blame me <laughs> for telling you something different. I run a rim lock in all of my moose wheels. I get a thousand miles, if not fifteen hundred miles, on a moose, and I don't have problems because I install them correctly with the right amount of lube on good tires in a properly sized moose. Does that all make sense? Yep, it sure does. I run the moose balls and I've had, you know, good good success so far and and I do balance them. I even balance them on my two stroke just, you know, to offset that uh, you know, the the rim lock imbalance that is naturally there and it makes it quite a bit smoother and, you know, you're you're going to feel that anytime you're you're going third gear or more you know, it's going to make the bike feel smoother. Right. And, and it, yeah, the out of balance, it bothers some people more than others. And it's funny when the wheels kind of get in the sink and they're both out of balance. Do you love that? <laughs> yeah. What happened to my bike? Uh, Mark Daniel says, Jimmy, on your flex bars, what color dampers are you running? For me, it's generally red dampers. Uh, Mark, uh, for you? Uh, I personally, I got the blue on the up and the green or the uh, yellow for the the compression. So that's slightly stiffer. So softest. Oh no, 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 I'm softest. The softest they come with is what I got. Is blue uh, red is medium, and where is? I thought yellow was stiffer than red. I thought it was the softest, but yeah. Or, or is it blue that's different? I'd have to, I have to, I have it written down. It's kind of funny because I'm thinking of recluse clutch springs right now. You know, there's same oh, blue, yeah. red, silver, and steel, yeah. and all this other. So I get confused. I have to look at. I have a chart that I have where it's written. Actually, one's on my wall and one's on my box of elastomers where it says what's what they are. But I'm running reds yeah. uh, kind of all around on my motorcycles currently. Sandor Sam stitches says, what would happen if KTM engine mounts were over-tightened or under-tightened? 
Uh, I'm not sure if he's what bike he's talking about, but that probably has something to do with the uh, the aluminum top motor brackets on the newer 500s that are known to crack. Yep. Although I think I've seen one in all the 500s I've worked on doing a valve adjustment or doing whatever on it. I said, oh, he's got a crack motor bracket. I think I've seen one. Um, you know, I know Taco Moto sells some super high dollar, you know, brackets with a titanium bolt. Personally, I don't think they're necessary, but you know, the guys that are, you know, their wallets are overflowing with some dough, go for it. They're bitching. I mean, they are nice parts, but, uh, if, you know, so what's making them crack, I would think, you know, um, motor mounts not being tight enough, letting the motor shift a little bit, bottoming your suspension too hard because you're running on stock springs and you're 230 pounds plus gear <laughs> and you, you're hammering G outs in the desert and you think, oh, I don't know, it's no big deal. You know, well, it is a big deal. One, it's dangerous. And two, it's, it's actually hard on the frame and it's hard on other components. Correct. Yeah, that that all that I I agree 100%. I mean, over tightening sometimes tends to stiffen the chassis up and under tightening uh, can make it loose or make the chassis flex to a point where it gets really stiff all of a sudden. And uh, yeah, so it's just it's best to keep it in the stock range. And then, you know, five or five pounds in either direction might give you some things. And uh, Brenda and both Mark, red is stiffest, blue is softest. And uh, with yellow being in the middle. So there we go. So, yeah, I must be blue on compression and yellow on rebound. Wow. Because those are the softest you can do because they don't come with the the same color for the rebound. Like the rebound is going to be one step stiffer no matter what. Usually, yes. Yeah, and so. I, th- I think I'm. I, th- I, I it's, it depends on the bikes. I kind of run reds a lot of times, which is stiffer, but uh, I think that's the thing where I went softer and then I kind of went back stiffer, just because you know I was able to get my suspension exactly where I wanted to, and and it still does it still does a job. But I know I know I have one that's blue and yellow, and I I, I want to say it's a, it's one of my Husabergs. And it's not just because they look like the Husaberg colors, okay, everybody, so quit giving me shit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could care less what it looks like. I just run it. Okay, here. Uh, uh, the 9000 says, an idea for the show, a ride area mini view, i.e., and he, he, he starts listing off a lot of the places where I've ridden, even if you have personally not been there. And I, I'm, the reason I'm not saying these areas is because well, one of the three that he says are actually really, really good. Spend 10 minutes talking about a destination for riding. Uh, I'm going to, uh, boy, I'm going to save this question for next segment because I'm going to go on a little bit of a, a rant about this and talk about, I just don't like to give away riding areas because, yes, I know from experience and you really need to earn your wings when it comes to knowing the riding areas. I don't, I don't post on the internets like where I'm riding. Uh, generally when I ride a really good area and a friend brought me there, uh, I would never talk about it, but I also volunteer to go work on their trail system to help them out. Uh, if a track is really bitching or an event, it's a public event and all this stuff. Yeah, I might, I might mention it, but, um, interesting. Okay. Do you agree with that in any way, shape or form? Yeah. Oh, I'm, I don't like the social media stuff, you know, just plastering it all out there, making it too easy for the average numbskull to go get, 
you know, access to the best stuff. It's like you kind of, yeah, you work your way up to the best stuff. They become by, consumers. They have no invested right. interest in it. They go ride it and then they tell, they want to be cool. So their coolness is I'm going to tell all my friends the bitch in place I just rode. Yeah. And then everybody and everybody else and everybody else does the same thing. And they have no investment. They just wrecked because right. trails can only take a certain amount of usage. And I'm not being an elitist to say, but go find them on your own. Quit giving away the goods. I know you just want to tell one friend, but you tell the one wrong friend. And I've told the one wrong friend a couple times. And and I want to find that guy back out on the trails. And yeah. I, I want to bury him underneath the trails, what I really would like to do. But I want to make them go fix all the bullshit that's effed up, whether it's whether it's some water bars that they roosted out that caused a big giant rut, you know, whether they need to be limbed or trimmed or you come out, you spend a day working on trails. And this this is something and this is where I'll go like next time we talk about. You're going to get this from me every time. You go spend a day working on trails. You go spend a day you build a trail, which you can't do anymore, by the way. It's, it's, we're, we're, it's not the old days. You can't do this anymore. You work on a trail. You take the time to do it. And then watch one guy tell one friend who invites 15 friends, who invite 100 more friends. And now your trail has giant hoop-de-doos in it. It's got a big rain rut in it. And everybody goes, oh, that trail sucks now. And you remember what it used to be like. And it's like, yep. well, guess what? You told one friend that wouldn't come back and work on it. And that guy's like, dude, I'm over that area now, bro. I, I go right here because he's sucking off another uh, inner influencer tit that's just uh, yeah. quit well, posting. There's locations. actually there's actually a, a popular shop that I'm sure you've heard of. I won't say their name now, but they're famous for that. And they've ruined, uh, you know, well, not ruined, but they've definitely overexposed uh, three different riding areas that I know of. One time, a buddy of mine were riding in some deep bitching single track, and we came across 18 of them. And fortunately, we came across them at an intersection where we had already stopped. And 18 of these racer dudes come around the corner, and it's like, okay, I guess, you know, this isn't a secret anymore, which is understandable, whatever. But then they all park off the trail. And when it came time for them to all go, we called it the bomb run. Like somebody dropped the banner and all of them took off and just ripped the shreds at this mountainous area that we were in. It's like, come on, really? Like we should know better than that, especially that it was an industry, you know, shop that is, you know, taking all these guys out on a ride day and, and not, you know, uh, teaching trail etiquette at a minimum. It's right. like, come on guys, stay on the trail. There's no reason for you to park eight or nine wide like literally all in the forest and then when you know when the one leader dude put his helmet on and took off they all acted like the banner dropped it's like guys that's not the way we you know need to be preserving these you know pristine trail areas so yeah I, i'm with you i i agree and i've i've seen that i've seen that kind of stuff before and and same thing it's just it's consumerism as opposed to you know being part of the team for for all this yep. stuff and and i've spent way too much time you know fighting for land use access and and you know being on the on the right side of the the equation to 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 watch it all go to you know all go to hell because someone wants to be popular on you know, on social media or use it as a selling tool. If they're using it as a selling tool, it, I, if you do that, you're not going to have anything to sell pretty soon. It's just not going to go that way. I mean, the UTV market is exploiting this in a way that's just unbelievable right now. And I, I watch, I watch some, you know, UTV forums posting ride trips through wilderness areas, wilderness with a capital W showing their oh, ride wow. reports and going through there. And I'm like, 
I can't believe you just uh, admitted to federal <laughs> thing. You know, you just did this, and they're gonna, they're eventually they're gonna crack down on this, and just, just come on, let's be smarter about this. Uh, yep. So, yeah, it's uh, people tell us you can still make trails in Montana. Well, don't worry, because too many people from California are moving up there because they read on the internets that you could make trails in Montana. And you just posted it on my thing. I just read it out loud, and I'm not going to tell anybody. <laughs> Flying Brian 529. Uh, careful. Just, But you're talking about Montana right outside of Jawbone Canyon, California, right? That's uh, that's the or or is it was it was it uh, Ocotillo Wells, California? That Montana, because that's where everybody goes to ride. I have a couple yeah. other questions um, about the Cove. Let's kind of hit these. Uh, Paul Coverdale eight three one two says it was the Chinese Dakar bike that done so well. They described they decided to put it out on the open market here in the UK. They are gaining a real following number one they are good number two the fuel it is eight gallons for you guys in the states well no it's not actually eight gallons we measured it we talk about this in the video 31 liters for us in the uk you're just reading the specs looks like it's going to be a giant killer from the views before the 2024 shows up here in uk in europe enjoy well uh i don't know if it's going to be a giant killer but i think they're going to sell plenty of them in that company as long as the production bikes follow suit with the bike that we rode they're going to be in good shape uh can you compare the vibrations on the cove versus the t7 at highway speeds an old guy here sensitive to the buzzins and that's david walker 5795 uh i didn't ride it a ton on the highway but the bit that i did and i'm probably not the vibration guy that you want to talk to it definitely vibrated a little bit more being a single cylinder, but it really, for a 450, and I think it has a big counterbalancer in the motor. I'm almost positive it is, because it's kind of a motor that they use in a lot of different uh, chassis, uh, street bikes included, uh, all over the world. Uh, so it doesn't really vibrate that much, especially for a single cylinder. It's, yeah, I, I wouldn't, wouldn't worry about it. Uh, so somebody's asking about the Yamaha WR450 because they're watching all our videos. Would you take this over the Cove for a one size fits most? Everything from commuting to desert to longer adventure rides, dirt, and single track. Even a night desert race, maybe. <laughs> so this is, uh, uh, man, I can't even, Zufidu243x, whatever, a, a YouTube name. How do you answer that question? Tim? I I've got a simple answer. There's no such thing. Yeah, you're asking you, about, it, you're asking I mean, about a unicorn. Well, and it's like I have three motorcycles for a reason. I got a big one, I got a dual sport, and I got a small two-stroke, and that's because it's you know you're not going to do like. And I've I've said if for some reason I you know hit hard times and I could only have one bike, I would only have a 500 EXC. And but I, I wouldn't agree. be riding it to work and riding hard enduro gnarly stuff and trying to adventure ride. Guess what? I'm not going to be adventure riding, and I'm definitely not going to ride it to work. But I could ride all my desert stuff, technical stuff, high speed stuff, kind of a mix of everything. You know, Colorado in the summer and 
you know, the 500 is the most versatile, but it's still, it's not a do everything. But you there's could, no such thing. You could adventure ride if you want. You could maybe put a one bigger countershaft yeah. sprocket on it and yeah. you could adventure ride and ride it to work. Yes. You could put a if one I smaller countershaft yeah. on it and you could go ride some gnarly trails. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, there, 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 there are bikes that can span the range, but you're not going to have fun at either end of the spectrum. And there's, right. and there's no such thing as a unicorn. Uh, Cove to WR450, it's really simple. The more I'm leaning toward adventure riding, the more I'm leaning toward Cove, at Cove, Cove, the more I'm leaning toward during enduro and competition or anything that has to do with the word race in it, I'm Yamaha 100% of the time. It's, it's really that simple. Um, yeah. at selfish, yeah, selfish says fair to judge after riding it. He's talking about the cove, but the descriptive of a perception of being junk is not an unfair bias, but biased on experience. All Chinese bikes have been comparative junk. Chinese making better, better bikes helps us all forging the competition competition to up their game uh that's that's that sounds like fair assessment yeah well but there is a difference like i know what people talk about when they're talking about chinese bikes you know <laughs> like the, the, do you still the have, k or the do you still have the shop around the corner that sells it's like it like used to be a lawnmower shop but now they sell mini bikes uh i don't the street know of anyone closer to the stadium yeah yeah. Mm, yeah, I don't know of them. Yeah. If they might have gone away, I don't know. I but, brought, I brought but my like when, when guys, there. <laughs> yeah, when guys talk about you know the the CRF two thirty L or two fifty L and three hundred L, it's like those are Brazil. You know, we get what's that? Brazil, built in Brazil. Well, they're Chinese bikes in my book. No, no adjusters <laughs> on the suspension, things like that. I mean, steel handlebars. They're just heavy, gutless, choked up you know, entry-level bikes. And I've had a number of guys call us with those bikes thinking, oh, I want to get my suspension dialed in. It's like, you know, we just start doing the research on them and realize, whoa, okay, no, those are Chinese bikes. I, okay, maybe they're not made in China, but they're just super entry-level bikes. And, you know, they're going to be heavy and they're going to be sluggish. And for guys that have been doing this a long time, that won't cut it. But, you know, for entry-level stuff, I think it's great because, let, let you know, our sport be, is shrinking. Let me be devil's advocate here, okay? So you said heavy. The funny thing about it is a novice rider on a heavy bike, they say it's more stable and they feel more comfortable on this. We did some extensive testing, and that's the way it came out. Yeah. Uh, again, you know, Chinese, it's all built someplace else. It's not built, quote, in Japan. Well, you'd be amazed at how many parts from the Japan bikes are built, we'll call it overseas in oh, yeah. different places. And and so, like, I think globally, the production quality is going up to a level where it's going to be difficult to find out. And the fact that companies ship parts from different places to a certain place to be assembled and put made in, whatever, uh, you know, and who knows, maybe some of this COVID is made in uh, Japan. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't yeah. know, you, you know, probably not, but, uh, and, and yeah, I think we got a question coming up here that we may get to, cause this show's running a little bit over overboard, but it's staying interesting, at least in my brain. I'm sorry. I'd like to apologize for everybody, uh, but there, yeah, everybody's going to have to up their game. That's, that's just the way it is. And, and if, if these things start providing better experiences, we're going to have to forget the past. Look at original Japanese motorcycles. People looked at them compared to the European stuff at the time and said they're junk. 
And if you really want to get kicked in the nuts, and I am as patriotic and as American everybody as everybody else, why the hell can't we produce an American-made bitchin' motorcycle that's world-dominating? If you are sitting here spouting all this stuff out, work on that. I would I would be the first guy I would love. I, I, I loved it when Canada got in the game. I was I was excited and stoked for them to come into the game and do something American-made and produce this stuff. And there's a reason why all these manufacturers know that they come come over here and do all their product testing. They need to get good reviews in America before the bike sells worldwide. There's a reason why America is what it is. But when it comes to actually getting it produced and manufacturing processes and labor and a lot of other things, it goes offshore. And this isn't just motorcycles. It's all different kinds of things. I'm surprised Mexico is not producing a really good American-made bike Sorry, Gary Jones and Amex. <laughs> you, you guys are way ahead of your time, but uh, that's the way things are. Uh, someone else says, Tyler at Everride sent me. Uh, thank you, Tyler at Everride. Uh, great review, and he subscribed. Yeah, we're going to be over 20,000 subscribers pretty soon. That's pretty cool. Uh, not that that matters because I used to have. 200,000 people reading some stupid magazine I used to work at, but that didn't work either. <laughs> at uh, Tom Askwell 184 says, damn, it's like sitting down and having a chat with a legend. Thanks, guys. Is he referring to Matt? Is that me that or is that you? No, I think he's talking about Matt in our co-video. <laughs> yeah, no. Matt's legendary. Matt... So imagine that you could be sitting right here in this chair next to me right now. And you gave it all up because you're not passionate about, about that. You, If you want to be a co-host on Tech Talk Taco Tuesday, just get passionate. Come right over here. You can sit in the Bulletproof Designs chair. It's sponsored by Bulletproof Designs. Tim, I know you know a lot about motorcycles. What products did you put on your bike before you left to go gnarly trail riding in Idaho and Colorado. Not that those are good places to ride. I know you wanted to go to Jawbone Canyon, but what products did you put on your bike? Uh, bulletproof designs, flex bars, unrehearsed, um, moose balls. Um, that was about it. Hey, Spark raster springs, bulletproof designs makes all of the products you need for your brand new bike that you just bought that you want to put on there and protect it. And you don't need to test them because you know, they're the best. And that's coming from somebody who has bulletproof designs on his bike that he put them on after he bought the bike used from another guy because he wanted to make it protected and all good. And thank God yeah. the radiators were not bent one bit before I tried to put them yeah. on because do not buy bulletproof designs radiators if your radiators are bent start with your bike yeah. new and you'll never have to replace them otherwise if they're bent none of the radiator guards are going to fit on there at least very well uh so do yourself a favor they're, they cost half of what a new radiator costs and then you'll never have to buy one bulletproof well after after a week of riding in idaho all the gnarly rocky stuff my swing arm guard my rear disc guard um there was some, oh, my foot pegs all got, you know, battle wounds. Uh, <laughs> my pipe, surprisingly, not a single nick in my pipe. I'm surprised that I, I was able to, you know, not hit my pipe, but I don't have a guard on it. Um, but my front discard, Jimmy, is I could, it's brand new. I could put it back in the package. I, I did not hit it on anything. Whoa. But, uh, 
I could have, but you know, and I would have been well protected, but I didn't. You should just get get rid of that extra part of that discard and just get the little fork lug protector. Because I kid you not that my fork lug protectors and my KTM 300 have done their job. Uh, George at ESP suspension, who's, who's my go-to guy working for him for over 20 years. Uh, actually 30, 35 years. Jesus. Uh, uh, he likes it when I have those on there because he can get the, he can get the, the lug bolts out of the bottom. (laughs) without having. No, I know those are good, but yeah, the disc rotor, yeah, disc rotor is easy to bend back if you make a mistake. Uh, let's see. I think, uh, well, I'm going to stop with this one. So we did it. We, uh, Trevor did a really nice video on how to use Windex to clean your grips, uh, your white grips, you know, because everybody runs white grips these days, I guess. I don't know. And uh, DZNF, DZNF7 said, groundbreaking content here. Taco Mike and Jay from Dirt Bike, Te- Dirt Bike TV have something, have some competition. <laughs> so... Dirt Bike TV J is afraid to come on this show and tell me the worst motorcycle ever. <laughs> so that's a challenge to him. I want to know the worst motorcycle ever, Jay. He's, he's always busy when I ask him about the worst stuff, the best stuff all day long. The worst is a little bit difficult. Uh, I'm going to can a lot of these other comments and stuff so we can get them to the next show. I'm sorry if we didn't uh, make it, but I'm wearing out. I've been... Uh, I've been pushing buttons over here at Tech Talk Taco Tuesday for at least uh, an hour, two and a half hours. And Tim from Inside Line Moto, who yes. needs a T-shirt or two or four, I don't know what I promised you. I, I spent a lot of time working on my T-shirt order form today, and my form software is broken, and it won't accept payments, and I'm making up excuses like there's nobody's business, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get on it. And Mark Daniels can tell you, I, I'm a man of my word. And I will get you your T-shirt when it's time. Uh, the T-shirt. Talk, well, you know, these Tech Talk Taco Tuesday T-shirts that are available in gray in multitude of sizes. Uh, we, we meaning me, the janitor, the accountant, the guy who's in charge of sponsorships, the guy who turned the lights on, and the guy who fed his cat, who somehow got up on the roof and it's meowing like crazy right now. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna handle your T-shirt. So, uh, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, yeah. you, you got a pretty good discount running for all of our Tech Talk Taco Tuesday listeners over there at uh, Inside Line Moto. Uh, we'll see about that. <laughs> we'll see about that. <laughs> you got to pay for quality. Yeah, uh, well, you're just gonna you're gonna take a little cut off the off the the incredible profit margin that we all make in the motorcycle industry because it's oh, a passion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Anyways, I really appreciate uh, appreciate the support. I appreciate all the listeners uh, checking in, all the people that are online. If you want to comment more on the show, just leave it in the comments on one of the on one of the platforms. We see those. We uh, put them in the next show. We're running a backlog of comments. That's why we're not doing Rooster Endo, which means the jackpot. Uh, you might want to submit your new bike. Uh, your with a nice photo. <laughs> your jackpot yeah. uh, is doubling. I'll talk to Taco Mike about that. And uh, hey, everybody, we'll see you out in the trail. So, cheers. And I have to push the end button now. Hold on. Uh, there's another screen here.